Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. What happened? Uh, had a slight weapons malfunction, but uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? We're sending a squad up. Uh, uh, negative, negative. We have a, a reactor leak here uh, now. Give us a few minutes to lock it down. Uh, large leak, very dangerous. Who is this? What's your operating number? Boring uh, conversation anyway. Welcome, 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 welcome to Best Film Ever, the podcast where we go out, review a film, and decide whether it's the best film ever. My name is Ian. And I'm Liam. And Liam, let's just break it down for someone whose first listen it may be. Uh, we go see a lot of films, or we used to, before the old lockdown happened, am I right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, and we used to watch um, quite a few films and then sort of have a discussion about it, and... Um, Generally, uh, we, we had this project we were working on where uh, I bought you a poster for Christmas of 100 bucket list films you have to watch. We were going to watch them together, and we did okay. Well, I say we did okay. We didn't do very well at all, actually. We got through, no. we got through about eight in about a, a year <laughs> a bit. So uh, we uh, kind of went, oh, what if we also went, we should really be documenting this. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we're saying and coming up with, which is... Uh, which would be interesting, I think. I was just some of the conversations we were having. And so the, the idea for a podcast was born. And then here we are today with the podcast Best Film Ever. Currently, Liam, do you remember what film we currently have rated as our top rated film? That would be The Dark Knight. That would be Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. And it's, it's, it's a pretty sizable margin. It's like The Dark Knight, and then it's like a gap. And then we have like three other films kind of in second place. But it's, it, it's quite a jump. So it'll be interesting to see... If our film today can uh, can can catch up, but on that note, we've got some perma guests we've had during this lockdown around our virtual roundtable. Uh, why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves? Hi, my name's Ellie, and I'm Georgia. And basically, perma guests because a big part of the thing was getting together and watching these films. And we 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 may have done me and you, Liam, and one other guest, but the, we 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 got together as a group and watched the films and that sort of things kind of ended so now everybody in the pool for the podcast i think for for at least for for the the time being and then a very special guest today uh because we are actually doing our first kind of i think they call it a simulcast where we're launched it here and on our sister channel uh talking the mickey i want you go ahead and introduce yourself hi uh i'm ethan i'm the one who this episode is going to not shut up there we go. That's that's the role usually played by me, I believe. So we'll see how that goes. We'll be here for hours. And so today it is, if I've done my job right and I've edited this right, we are talking about Star Wars today. I'm going to say Star Wars at first, because although they might try to rebrand it as A New Hope, this was released in the cinemas under the name Star Wars. And uh, it feels quite timely, I think, quite good. Did Episode Nine actually release in Britain on uh Disney Plus? I didn't see it today. It should. I know. Well, so it should have onward. To... <laughs> you know what I mean? So I mean, I'm quickly checking the app, see if it's there. If you could, that'd be great. Uh, while we're doing that, maybe we can go around the table and everybody sort of share a little bit about your own history with the Star Wars. I don't want to say brand, but the characters, the story, the narrative. What was your experience with it? Let's start. Let's go around the table in the usual order. Liam, why don't you start us off? Well, being the age I was, I mean, the first one came out three years before I was born. Um, so the hype of it all, uh, 
just generated more in the early 80s when I was born. So it weren't until Jedi was released that I became interested. And back then, David Prowse, who played Darth Vader, was doing the tour of the schools of Great Britain yeah. as the Green Cross Codeman. I don't know I what that means. Green Cross Codeman was um, a thing that was sent out to kids in schools to say, stop, look, and listen to Crossroads. Oh, okay. It was, a, it was an educational learning thing. And David we had Prowse... the hedgehogs when we were little. Oh, did, oh yeah, I remember the hedgehogs. Stop, look, listen, hedgehogs. That was, my, that was my one, yeah. We, we, yeah. We, in Canada, we had a, a hedgehog who ran around collecting rings on the video game consoles. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we we are all of four minutes minutes into the podcast, and we're wildly (laughs) off tangent. So, so Liam, you were talking to the man before a hedgehog who talked about Stop, Look, and Listen, Mr. Prowse. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Prowse. And I remember being terrified of Darth Vader as a child, and I got wind that this was the same guy, and I called him out on it in the middle of assembly. I said, are you Darth Vader? And I got took out of the, the assembly and put on a chair outside the headmaster's office. And he came out to me, and the guy was huge. So imagine, I was a little kid, mm-hmm. five years old. And um, he, he knelt down beside me, and he asked me why I asked if he was Darth Vader. And I said, because I was terrified of him. And he said, are you terrified of me? And I said, no. He was like, well, I'm Darth Vader. And I was like, <laughs> that is cool. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so I, I end up getting a signed autograph, the only kid in school that got a signed autograph saying um, David Prowse, Darth Vader, and everyone else got David Prowse, Green Cross Codeman. <laughs> so, so, so he liked the bad guy in the class, fittingly enough, even though you were a rebel, one could say. Well, yeah. And, and, and... So, um, so my, my, my spark of the show or the film or the film franchise came because of him. So me and him made me want to watch the others and spark that interest in Star Wars. And did you follow all the way through the prequels and into the new series and all that stuff? Uh, not, I didn't really like the prequels. Okay. I quite like the sequels, but not the prequels. Okay. And I'm not a big fan of CGI. Yeah, there was, a lot of, well, there was a lot of those in the prequels, yeah. Which I will talk about in this film, obviously, because okay. yes. I've remastered it. There are moments, <laughs> but yeah. Because I think most of us, I don't know, we'll talk about that in a minute, but uh, we, we may have watched different versions, we may have watched the same version. But from your end of the um, spectrum, if you will, all the way to the other end, we have Ellie. Why don't you share your Star Wars sort of history? Well, I'm not quite all the way to the other end of the spectrum because I have actually seen this film before, but it's the only one in the franchise that I have seen. and I only saw it for the first time maybe a couple of years ago um, and I fell asleep. So this time I made it all the way through. Well, hey, um, but yeah, I still haven't seen any of the other Star Wars films and really have a very limited knowledge of the Star Wars universe. So I know about that kind of, well, I think they're probably the two main sort of spoilers for the storyline, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, certainly kind of like the big reveal ones anyway, but I'm still very naive about the rest of it. So please keep them. Yeah, this would be a good place to sort of jump in and say we are going to talk about some elements of the original trilogy, but we're going to try and keep the prequel and sequel spoilers to a minimum. So uh, 
if you've seen, I mean, basically the original films have been out for for more than forty years at this point. So definitely, uh, that's on you if you don't know if you don't know the major plot beats of, of 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 that one. It was like when I watched The Godfather for the first time; I knew half the story already just because of all the other cultural references that you sit through. Georgia, why don't you talk about your experience, not with The Godfather, but with Star Wars? <laughs> Um, so I stumbled across and kind of into the Star Wars universe through the Disney universe. So before they were bought, but whilst they were still making a presence in the parks and that kind of thing. So, um, cause they held Star Wars days and that at the different parks before they built their own, um, Star Wars like lands and that kind of thing. So I stumbled through it on, um, like my love for it came through YouTube and the parks characters rather than actually the films. Um, and then I watched the sequels, um, which I enjoyed. But I've kind of grown up in a household that doesn't really watch films, but kind of watches films when they're on in the background. So I've watched bits and pieces of all of them and know the story and what happens. I just don't know where it happens and what in what film happens where. Um, so for me, watching this one was interesting to go, OK, so this is what people got to begin with um which was really interesting for me to see and also i have a huge love for jowers um they're my favorites and i was very happy to see them as a in this film not at one point i almost cried uh but we'll get to that i'm sure so yeah jowers are my favorites i uh um and and definitely on the other end of the spectrum maybe even more so than elliot that is on the one side liam's not the other one ethan tell us about your star wars i first sort of was introduced to Star Wars back in like 2004 by my dad uh, when the prequels are going on because uh, he wanted to make he wanted to see uh, episode three with me so he sat me down and made me watch all of the other ones that had just come out when they were like on on kind of poor quality VHS tapes and then I got really into Star Wars I dressed up as Luke Skywalker for Halloween and then played all the Lego games and all this and my Star Wars of childhood was in that peak where it became popular again and then i'd seen my first film that i'd seen was uh revenge of the sith in in the cinemas and then i was obsessed with the clone wars era because 2008 to like 2012 was sort of like peak star wars uh again and they had the tv show for the clone wars all that kind of stuff and uh during lockdown i've actually gone decided to go through the entirety of the current canon uh, the the Disney canon because they wiped all the old stuff from like the 70s to the 2010s. So I've been going through all the comics and the books and the video games and TV shows and movies and the radio plays. And it's really interesting watching um, episode four because at this point today is the final episode of um, The Clone Wars, which I've been watching for like what 12 years now so it's really interesting seeing that juxtaposition from the final episode to this film yeah i guess this is uh the the clone wars this is the literal most recent property mm. of the star wars franchise it's going to come out until they finally reimagine what the next trilogy is going to be if it's still those guys from game of thrones doing the show running i don't know uh, it's currently like a book it's a book and comic series uh set 400 years before the prequels called the high republic Okay. So it's like uh, Jedi knights with literal swords that look like lightsabers. Excellent. 
I would never read those. <laughs> and Space Vikings. Space, Space Vikings. Vikings. Space Vikings. If you just gave me a movie called Space Vikings, I might go see that. <laughs> I think I think there's like a young Yoda. I have no idea. Okay. So, uh, oh, it's Mandalorian. I, I, I'm a bit of a, yeah, I mean, Mandalorian will also obviously have more, more, more series. Um, my thing is probably very similar to Liam. And it's nice, Liam, for the first time we can do a movie that's older than we are. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite nice. We haven't had that experience yet. Um, my Star Wars experience, I think very similar to yours. I, I think, I think, um, the first Star Wars memory I really have is of the toys, actually. I remember yeah. uh, I moved from Canada to England and we left all the toys behind. And so the, my first real Christmas in England, they like went nuts and bought us like all the toys that could, probably the kid could want. And for the most part, it was like He-Man stuff, but there's a little bit of Star Wars <laughs> stuff th- th- thrown in there as well. And I remember I had this X-Wing. And it was the one where if you push down on R2-D2's head, it went from like standard to proper X-Wing shape. Yeah. And I spent <laughs> probably hours one day trying to get R2-D2 out of that. I thought he was like a separate... I didn't realize he was part of the... <laughs> I thought it was like this boat, like you'd take him out and put him... That would have been cool, but no, no. He was definitely like hardwired in there. Which You're not I was, the only thing that. No, I'm sure I'm not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, sure enough, like all the like little doohickeys would break off. He'd lose them over the years. But that basic X-Wing shape I had up, double, I moved back to, to Canada. So that was that. And then my, my real first memory was when they re-released these to try and build up hype for the prequels. And I remember episode one was one of the, I I didn't go to see a movie in cinemas for like five, six years as a kid. We just didn't go. Uh, We were really far away from a local movie house in Canada. And uh, I had a friend who really wanted to go see, um, and and he had a car, which which was great because in the middle of, of, you know, rural Ontario, Canada, we don't have like the public transit you do in England. So really, unless you could, unless you had your own car, which are very expensive in Canada. Um, you really couldn't go see these things. So then I sort of rediscovered through the prequels and, and really kind of went all in on it. And I remember feeling quite sad when episode three happens, not because episode three happened, because it was the end of the, of the line. I went, this is the end of a Star Wars sort of saga. And then, yeah. of course, pick back up with seven, eight, and nine. And we can talk about that, I'm sure, in future days. So let's jump in. We'll do the deep dive. Uh, Star Wars, uh, released in 1977, originally supposed to be Christmas of 1976, but they fell so behind in post-production, they had to delay it about five months. Um, Rated 8.6 on IMDb, so very high, and 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, if you just want to give that a thought. Um, George Lucas uh, had the idea come to him around 1971. He just finished work on THX 1138. Has anybody seen that? I've seen clips uh, of it from, from uh, I think it's called Empire of Dreams. It's like an old Star Wars documentary. I've okay. just seen parts of it. Yeah, that. I've seen like little little bits of it, but that's about it. I've actually heard of it, which is saying something, because obviously that's way before my time, and I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan, but I think I have seen part of one of the star wars documentaries at some point which i should imagine is where i've heard of it from also i think he used that as his logo as well yeah there's that thx thing that used to come up before every motion picture where we go that one that was thx and so uh, that came from THX 1138. There's even a reference to it at one point in this film uh, where Luke's taking Chewie and he says, we've got to transfer a prisoner from 1138. So, uh, yeah, so it's quite interesting. Um, and on the back of THX 1138, um, George Lucas decided he wanted to try and do um, some stuff. And he had the idea about this space sort of, 
opera series. And really what he wanted to do, if all truth being told, is he wanted to acquire the rights to Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon <laughs> in that ridiculously campy 1970s sort of serial space thing. And really, want, and he tried to get them, and he couldn't get them, and he was really, really depressed about it. And went, well, find them, and I'll write my own. And he kind of went ahead and jumped down with that situation. And so uh, United Artists, who were a film studio back in the day, gave him a two-picture deal. And for the first picture, he did American Graffiti, which is how he first worked with Harrison Ford and Richard Dreyfuss and a few others. And um, then he was going to do um, the space opera. Um, and he was really, as he went through early drafts, he was really inspired by what would happen in Vietnam and wanted to write about that and by the films of Kurosawa. And so he came up with this idea about a young um, a young star traveler called C.J. Thorpe, who would be a Jedi Bendu, who would be trained as a space commando by Mace Windy, which uh, if you've seen a few of the other ones, a few of those things pop up before. And then eventually he came up with Star Wars, and uh, like I said, heavily featured by uh, Hidden Fortress by... Uh, Kurosawa, but United Artists would not touch this. So then you've got George Lucas, who uh, he's less than 33 when, when, he's, when he's pitching this. He's like 30 when he's pitching this film idea. And he really wants to make it. And uh, obviously. And so he pitches it to everybody. And uh, United Artists won't touch it. He, wants to, he goes to Universal. Universal won't touch it. He goes to Disney, ironically enough. Disney won't touch it. <laughs> and so he finally finds a partner in 20th Century Fox, and he finds it because they believed in him from American Graffiti and THX. They went, okay, we're, so they were invested in George Lucas more than they were invested in his crazy idea. I think they were trying to hope, well, let George make his film now, and maybe the next one will be something more commercially whatever. We'll let George get this out of his system, and then off yeah. we go. And um, George gets a pittance to write and direct this film. Like, absolutely nothing, pretty much. But he makes a deal, and he says, I will take the really poor... And American Graffiti comes out, and it's a big hit. And so he's got a little bit more cachet, and he renegotiates and says, I will take a pittance. That's fine. You can pay me something like 150000 or some small number. But I want 40% of the merchandising rights. And they went, yeah, wow. go... And they went, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. No one's ever... You know, people don't make money on, on, on merchandise and films at that point. Maybe a kid's <laughs> film, but not this. And it was coming out in May. Right? So we're like, okay, by the time Christmas comes around, no one's going to remember this. They only put it in like 40 cinemas nationwide on opening weekend. And they were like, it's just going to be what, what it is. And so, of course, we, we, we know what happens there. And there's a great story where he gets a first cut of the film and he plays it for some friends. And amongst the friends in the audience are Brian De Palma and Steven Spielberg. And in the room, everybody except for one guy goes, this is terrible. Brian De Palma, especially, he said, what was it here? It's, it's, it's all over the place. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, and he was especially critical of the crawl at the beginning, which he said it felt like it was written on a driveway because it was like four paragraphs, five paragraphs, six paragraphs long. It went on forever. Yeah. It went on forever. And De Palma said, let me write you the crawl. So he does. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But the only person in the room who got it was Steven Spielberg. And Steven Spielberg cried and said, this is the greatest film I have ever seen. And in a really interesting twist of fate, uh, it was supposed to come out not too long before Close Encounters of a Third Kind. 
And George, I guess, was just bemoaning. He goes, oh, my film, maybe it'll do okay, but you're going to absolutely do, do, do gangbusters because no one wanted to touch Star Wars. It was a limited engagement. And yeah. Spielberg bets him and says, I'll make you a bet that your film outgrosses mine. And he goes, yeah, right. He goes, no, I'll bet you. Two and a half percent of the film's profits. I will bet wow. you. And so to this day, Steven Spielberg still makes two and a half percent of the film's profits because he made a bet. And it so happened that they went on holiday together during opening weekend because they didn't think that it was going to be a success. Sorry, uh, George Lucas, at 33 years of age, doesn't think it's going to be a success. So they go on a holiday with the Spielbergs off to Hawaii. And it's not until he turns on the news and it's like a cultural phenomenon that he realizes what has happened here. So... <laughs> Um, of course, we know how the story goes. AFI put it number one on the list of top scores of all time. Um, it was one of the first 25 films submitted to the U.S. Library of Congress for safekeeping for future generations. And it's the at the time, it was the highest grossing film of all time. And if you adjust for inflation, it remains the second top grossing film of all time. Wow. Behind only, anybody know the answer to this question? Uh, Gone with After the Wind. Right? Gone with the Wind is correct. Well done. So, but it was true uh, that original screening had all sorts of messes and it was an editing mess. And so they basically went back to drawing board, re-edited the whole film. And the film ends up winning six Oscars, including best score and best editing. And what we don't talk about or you never hear about is that the original Star Wars was nominated for best picture, which I would not have thought this was that type of film. No. Interesting. It is interesting because neither the actors, like you know, Carrie Fisher or or, or um, Mark Hamill, don't get nominated for for the acting. So it's very much on its technical prowess. I think it gets nominated for best picture. Yeah. So that is that. Uh, let's jump into the uh, series a bit. So we jump in. It's that super super um iconic logo i mean everything we talk about it all happens at once we get the logo we get john williams's first notes and we get um and we get the crawl three iconic star wars moments it screams at you straight away with the music and the star wars logo coming on it's it's big punchy impact yeah it gets your attention straight away I don't care if it's this one, if it's the Phantom Menace, or when I went and saw Rise of Skywalker. When that logo hits and I get that opening note to the Star Wars main theme, I've got goosebumps every time. It just makes me feel... I'm not like a kid again, because I don't think really, I really saw them as a kid, but it makes me remember my first viewing of it again. Yeah. And then we get Brian De Palma's four-paragraph or three-paragraph much-cut-down crawl, which kind of tells us everything we need to know. Um, I don't know, as a kid, my, my favorite part was the crawl. <laughs> I just liked watching, wow. like reading through, sp- if, if they could have put like everything I had to do for homework with that music just <laughs> flying up through space, I would have done all my reading homework as a kid. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the ultimate exposition, isn't it? But oh, then well, with this one, at least it knows what it is. It's not like that lazy exposition in the writing of the actual script. It's, it's just like a pre-telling well so much of this film is two things so much of this film is number one john williams score like it's 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 amazing there's a reason why it's number one on the afi's list the score is i mean and he still doesn't have i mean the the imperial march does not get played in this film he still has something in his back pocket for later in the trilogy you know what i mean but it's still like the music is you know it all and then secondly 
is how expositional this film is because there is so much just we got to talk information at the audience and that's the brilliance of the crawl is you can you, you could have wasted 25 30 minutes telling us all sorts of stuff through like actual filmmaking or you could have a sit there and read words flying through space for 60 seconds and i'm like all right i got an idea i got an idea what's going on it does change your perspective on exposition and stuff of today's films though because i don't think today in the generation of lazy binge watch viewing you'd do that because people would don't expect to put the effort of reading into the beginning of films anymore and i think it's i think it's a very much a cultural thing of its time that you wouldn't see introduced today because people are too lazy to read like that what you do now is true well that and there also be questions about we live in a global economy how do you make sure that everybody who goes to the theater can have reading levels at at that sort of a level regardless what's going on uh, I think what you would do more often now is you'd have a narrator say those say those words over. Uh... Yeah, you would, but it, it's 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 definitely a lot more effort put into it. But it makes you pay attention to the beginning of the film because you have to, which I think is important. Or at the very least, you'd like Princess Bride it and have Grandpa Columbo come in and say, "Well, it was, it was a time." <laughs> <laughs> is this a kissing book? No, it's not a kissing book. Ethan, sound like you wanted to say something there. I yeah, when you said about the narration, this is actually kind of funny so funny it's not um in the star wars clone wars thing they gave up with the title crawl because they realized no one really wants to have to read that each episode so they just do narration they do the title crawl they just have someone do like a big thing like an imperial galaxy assault base window goes and attacks some guy like just that each episode. I'm trying to remember in Rogue One, and so, I didn't see Solo, but in Rogue One, I know the logo slightly, the, the font slightly different. Do they still do the crawl? They don't do the I'm crawl sure in Rogue One. Solo has sort of like, it's like a Blade Runner-esque thing where they just say, it's a period of like galactic turmoil. People on the streets of Corellia are dealing spice or something. It's been a while since I've said and, it. And I like that. The fact that only the main ones get that sort of treatment. I mean, the first characters we see and the first characters we invest in for the first 30 minutes of this film are the droids. Luke Skywalker, not Luke Skywalker. Jeez, look at that. <laughs> C-3PO and R2-D2. And as a kid, I'm telling you, C-3PO is my favorite character in the film. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, which is totally weird. And originally, when they had the idea of C-3PO, he was supposed to be like this, like New York City, like fast talking used car salesman type. And oh, it wasn't until goodness. they it wasn't until they met Anthony Daniels and he did it kind of like in that British butler kind of way. They went, no, that works. That, that works better. And another little known fact is in early drafts, um, R2-D2 and even early footage, R2-D2 was supposed to speak English and have like a foul mouth on him. He was supposed to be like, the sweary droid. And so he's a little cuspo. And and so like all the bits were like C three PO in the films. Like, oh, I can't believe you would say that. Well, that was all actually like the lines that were supposed to be written <laughs> in response. But R two D two was instead of being this little cuddly kind of like merchandising machine that he ended up being was supposed to be just like this foul mouthed kind of like he's so cute, but he's so wrong in many ways. Yeah. And so um, we get the idea. The, they're on some ship. Leia's on the ship. Uh, the droids got to get away. There's a there's a shootout between the Imperial uh, stormtroopers and the Rebel, whatever they were, ours. Their ridiculous helmets. Yeah. Um. What is the point in the Rebel people's helmets? Because they're just wearing like regular cloth uniforms, which 
clearly don't protect them against anything, and then they've got random helmets on top that don't even cover their faces. To make them look weak, and also to make them look interchangeable. Hmm... So what happens in films is you dress a large group of people the same, whether it's uh, a military film, which makes it easy, or like Indiana Jones or, or something, and you put all the henchmen or, or characters who don't matter, we see it also happen in the final, in similar dress costume. And what that means is it basically just turns into giant numbers. So when one dies, they don't have any personality. They're just part of a great yeah. sort of group. And so rather than there being five Nazis chasing Indiana Jones, now there's two Nazis. I don't care about the three Nazis and who they were and who, what their families are. It makes them interchangeable and just easily countable. And so each stormtrooper just becomes their own thing, as does each rebel become their own thing. Georgia? say also for a film that probably didn't have a big budget, they wouldn't have had a big budget for extras, which means they can double people up this way very, very easily. If they all look the same, Mm. it doesn't matter if you've seen the same person twice because you can't tell. If you find 30 rebels, you can make them look like 150 if you you sort of shoot it right. Yeah. Yeah. And to back up your point, in Austin Powers, they bring that up, don't they? About how the henchmen are not thought about. And then they go into a big sequence about Oh, he was a family man, and this. That, oh, and the that's other. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Because it does play on that trope, which Star Wars really helps kind of create. Uh, I, I, when I teach media, I call it the stormtrooper effect. The idea that you know they're just one giant mass, and you don't care about them when they die. You just see them fall and go, no. oh, "I'm okay with that." Ethan, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna counter that because I know we're not supposed to be talking about other Star Wars, but the main point of sort of. Uh, prequels and clone wars is they give each sort of clone which is you know the pro trooper uh a personality they all look the same but they you you recognize them from like the eyebrows or the hair or just the way they talk even though they all talk the same right but you you, you can't challenge that trope unless you build it up first and that's mm. what happened here was you're building it up so then once it's built up what's the only original thing you can do you break it down and we see it broken down even in, if you think about, about the new trilogy i mean jesus a huge point of it isn't it I was going to say that's that's basically the whole plot point for that, but you can't do that unless you've already established that they're a endless army of the same person. Because you're not expecting it. So moving back yeah. in, um, <laughs> the greatest stormtrooper aim because there's a joke throughout most of sort of modern media that like stormtroopers cannot aim for bananas. So bad. Shoot like a stormtrooper. Shoot like a stormtrooper. Stormtrooper aim, and when. C-3PO and R2-D2 somehow move across a corridor where rebels are shooting at stormtroopers. Stormtroopers are shooting at rebels and they just sort of like wander through the whole thing. <laughs> and stagger off. And it's, it's the greatest they survive this ever. And off they get jettisoned by some pod. And it's one of like a million things where like it was, it really is so unrealistic. I know it's a space opera, but it's so unrealistic. Should we shoot that? Nah, probably just jettison by itself. So what, like, are you short on bullets or lasers? Like just blow it up and be safe. Like two lazy guards bring down an empire. So then we have uh, Darth Vader who makes his entrance. And I like the fact we build up to it. First, we have the rebels. Then we have the stormtroopers. And if they're the first thing you've seen, like a stormtrooper look is like, is, is it's impressive, isn't it? Yeah. Like in How Much Your Mother, I Barney mean... Stinson had a had a stormtrooper costume in his uh, in his apartment. Georgia, I would argue that the stormtroopers actually look more menacing than Darth Vader does in this film because he, bless him, I've got it in my notes. He just looks quite plasticky in this film. Like yeah. I know it's an old film, and obviously it was a cheap budget, but his helmet looks very cheap plastic in this one and having seen more recent ones more recently obviously i had forgotten 
what the old look was um so it took me by surprise i went oh you look all shiny and plasticky i just kind of want to give you a hug like <laughs> it didn't <laughs> it wasn't as menacing as it was supposed to be for me in this one but first we introduced the stormtroopers and they're interesting because they're all clothed in white and bright 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 white so there's some irony there because we're not used to white being used to represent evil ever yeah no. yeah and then when we establish that then you bring vader out and in a world full of white clinical white hospital white with, with white with black trim vader comes out and he's black with like black trim minus the atari 2600 uh like chest plates he's got <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which that doesn't age well if i'm being honest but we get that Definitely. and why is vader more menacing though it's not just the look i'll give you a look but it's that breathing and they don't explain it away in the first film it's just there um, and it's, it's like yeah and um and then, so, so it was the breathing, and, and Vader's very tall, so it, it, it's that as well. Is he actually that tall, Liam? You've met him. Is he actually that tall? Yeah. He's a big guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he doesn't speak <laughs> yet. He just off he goes, and um, it's, it's quite intimidating. You see Vader, and this is our big introduction to him. And uh, then we kind of get some references to Princess Leia. we got to find the princess and all this stuff. And again, before we meet her, we hear about her, or there's work done beforehand. So that when, we, when she finally shows up, it's a big deal. And he picks up some random guy with his hands. With his hands, he chokes this guy. And then throws him to the ground. And then we hear the voice. And it's the voice of James Earl Jones, not the look both way before crossing the street man. What's his name again? David Prowse. Yeah. So David Prowse goes to the theater and does not know he's not doing the voice of Darth Vader until he's watching the premiere. Nobody told wow. him. Have you heard David, David Prowse like, lines as Vader? They're the most unthreatening things ever. I have written down here that he is, they called him Darth Farmer backstage. <laughs> Because it's apparently because he's got this he's Bristol accent. He's from because he's from Norfolk. He's from Norfolk. Okay. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so we didn't sound. He yeah, he didn't sound very very menacing whatsoever. So sorry, can you just explain? Did he originally record the lines and then they got someone else to record them? Yeah, they got James that... Earl Jones. That okay. that was Mufasa. I I don't know who voice actors are, but oh my word, James Earl Jones. <laughs> this is CNN. Um, James Earl Jones is one of the greatest voices of our generation. Oh, it's 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 an amazing voice. Long live the king. Yeah. That, <laughs> that's him. That was that's by, Jeremy Irons. That's said so by that's, Scar. That's Jeremy that's, Irons. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wrong one. Sorry. Everything the light. You touches, can cut that. Everything the light touches everything will be your the kingdom. Light is this yours. is CNN. <laughs> um. And so. Um, and then we have a thing where Leia like shoots some guys, tries to run away, and it's the only time we see them stun. And I've learned that if you get them up real, real close, and you set your guns to stun, then the stormtroopers aren't that bad because she falls down. <laughs> we see her giving some sort of information to R two D two before this, and then we have a walk and talk between Vader and I don't know if it was Tarkin or someone else. But this movie was so big on we need to get you just clear information. We don't have time for the film to breathe properly. Let's just tell it to them. And we'll do this by having us walk down a corridor and then you talk and then I talk and then you talk. And they say things like, but Princess Leia will never give the information. Well, she will when we tell her when I use my... Well, but, but you know, she's head of the Rebel base. It's like all this lazy storytelling that we need to get this information across. We'll just do that as they walk towards us. It's often done in like NYPD Blue or CSI or West Wing or shows like that where they have to get a lot of information across. Basically, it's them doing a version of The Crawl. 
and just sort of saying the lines back and forth to each other. Yeah. Uh, the escape pod. Uh, oh, should we talk about Leia's hair? It's ridiculous. There's a lot of hair. I think, I mean, because this is one of those absolutely iconic things again, isn't it? The bagel ears, if you will, or whatever you want to call them. The cinnamon rolls on the side of her head. That is, <laughs> I don't know if you guys are aware of how much hair takes to do that, but that hair is thick and that is long, so and I should imagine that wig was very, very heavy. If that's all hair, I, think it's her real I should hair. imagine it's actually padded. Because but... I read a report that said that she hated the hair and was going yeah. to make a push for two things. Number one, she hated the hair and didn't want to do the hair. Number two, she hated the costume because she wanted something that would show off her figure a bit more and hated the fact that she was kind of like going to be in, wearing this like bed sheet the whole time. Yeah. And she was going to have to tape down like her, 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 the yeah. word the word is breasts, Ethan. I know. I didn't know if this was like a, if I can say that. One. You can say breasts, yes. So they had apparently this is this is really weird. Apparently they had to tape down her breasts because her costume wouldn't allow for undergarments to be worn. So Oh bless. Her. Which, which which she famously years later would say, I guess they don't have underwear in space. <laughs> so they used gaffer tape. What? <laughs> But there was something else they asked her to do. And they, this isn't, I mean, definitely wouldn't happen today. But they said, can you come back a little bit lighter before we shoot the film? No way. And because she hadn't lost the weight, she didn't even try to, like, make a big deal about the costume or the hair. Because she went, I just don't want to be fired because I haven't lost the weight they've told me to lose. Oh, my gosh. So that, as a result. She was quite young at the time as well, wasn't she? Quite what? She's quite young at the time. She was well, very, she was very young. I don't know the exact number, which is good because we're gonna play a game later. Mm, I think. I know. So there we go. We're on Tatooine with three PO and R two D two, who are really the characters we've been told are the ones we should care about to this point. And they have a big fight in the middle of the desert. And they storm off their their various ways, and R two D two goes trundling off alone by himself. And an interesting story: the actor who used to play inside the droid said a two things. Number one. R2-D2 was often um, controlled by a remote control, but it wouldn't work more often than it would work. <laughs> so he was just happy on the days it worked. And they're shooting this in Tunisia. Like, it is hot. Wow. And he said, one drawback of playing R2-D2 is because he was never shown, because he was always in the suit, they would break for lunch and often forget to tell him because they just would forget that he was inside the suit. So on more than one occasion, he's like having to like waddle back and forth so people remember he's in there to let him out. <laughs> Sorry, is this R2-D2 or C-3PO? No, it's R2-D2. <laughs> C-3PO, on the other hand, had his own problems with his costume. It was shot in a way that he couldn't bend that well. So if he ever had to relax while on set, they just put a board behind him and like supported him so he could lean against it. <laughs> Almost like laying down but standing up. And in any scene where he sat down, they've done this with camera angles and trickery. If he sat down, it means the bottom half of his costume is off. <laughs> and so from the top, from the waist up, he's C-3PO. And from the waist down, he's just in his, and he's wearing shorts or something like that. It's just in his pants. <laughs> so. Um, and then it's like we, Zoom calls during coronavirus. And, indeed. And then we have uh, a series of, well wipes and things like that so do, do, do we all know what, what, what a wipe is not a clue is this, the, this is where i've written in my notes that powerpoints once it's transitions back yes exactly so <laughs> rather than do a straight cut to a new scene you get like the side of the image comes and sort of like, like a powerpoint transition sort of 
like a slideshow. Yeah. It sort of takes it over by pushing the other thing out of the way or expanding out or expanding or coming from a thing into a circle in. And um, generally, if this happens, I say, if, if any of my students ever did this, I would go, this looks absolutely ridiculous and unprofessional. Do not do this. However, in Star Wars, it's part of the fabric. I would be disappointed if I went to a Star Wars film and it didn't have like a wipe. One of the best parts of the prequels is the amount of different wipes. I think my fa- I think it's in Revenge of the Sith. I know they used it last week in Clone Wars, but it's when you have like when the scene transitions, it turns into nine different boxes that all swivel and then shrink <laughs> and turn into the next scene. And it's the most jarring thing to see in a Star Wars film because it's like a 2003 like Windows Movie Maker thing, yeah. and it's beautiful. And this is why you don't do it in films is because it does jar you from your immersion because it makes you realize the film's constructed, but it's a construction by someone else. But it is part of the of the Star Wars fabric as much as like the costumes and the hair and the lightsaber are wipes. I expect to see them, and then. Um, so we find out that C-3PO and R2-D2 have both been kidnapped and brought into like a rogues gallery of some of the worst looking droids ever by the Jawas. And my favorite crappy droid had to be who I'm calling Dustbin Man or Dust... Oh, Gong! Ru- the, the, the Bin with Gong. Legs! Bin with Legs. <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't know. Was Jim Henson involved in this? Did he have anything to do with anything on this? I actually don't know. Because there were some things that that seemed kind of Jim Henson-esque throughout the film, but this looked like everything he had in his scrap pile. They won't give you 50 bucks for the lot. And he went, yeah, all right, go ahead. (laughs) No, everyone loves it. Like, this is a side thing. In the Star Wars community, everyone loves the gonk droid that you mentioned. Yeah. Like, uh, in the star in the Lego Star Wars games, there's like a big thing where if you play as him, you just explode, and that's his power. Is he explodes <laughs> to kill people? And in uh, like the the Star Wars Battlefront community, they made like a mod where I want to say it's Darth Maul. They've reskinned to be a gonk droid, and it's just it's carnage. Okay, beautiful carnage. Jim Henson was not involved in his puppet um, company, his creature shop. Sorry, was not involved in any of the Star Wars films however the yoda puppets have been helped designed with the help of some of his um biggest like employees but it was not officially done by the jim henson creature shop so there's a henson sort of uh, only on yoda yeah so yeah there's 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 like some fingerprints there kind of yeah but only on yoda okay um also there was like a like discount wally was also in there it looked like so uh, and that was where we meet Luke. And interesting, this is not the first version of the film that came out. There were three scenes with Luke before this, and they were terrible. That's so bad. Part of the deal was you've got to cut this and make. So this scene was shot, not with it being the intention of being Luke's introduction, but it works perfectly. And in case you missed it, there's like a repetition of of the main Star Wars theme underneath it, like all kind of soft. It's so, it's, it's so the first introduction you get to Luke in at least this version of it. That plays underneath, and it made me so happy. Yeah, and so, uh, but Luke starts whining. He doesn't want to go and help with the droids. He wants to get some power converters. And C three PO starts to introduce himself to Uncle Owen, and about halfway through, Uncle Owen goes, "Yeah, shut up." <laughs> like that's quite funny. <laughs> um, is Luke likable? Because then we okay. So there's a big thing where 
they go to get this different R something unit, a red one. It blows up two feet away. So they trade it for the R two D two unit because C three PO vouches for it. He's amazing. That red unit's a force user. Okay, maybe it. It, no, it genuinely, it used the force to kill itself because it knew that R2 was on a mission to deliver plans. So it went, I need to kill myself, so use the force to explode. Okay. And then we get uh, back there, and Luke's, the, he's, he's playing with, like, a spaceship toy. As, like, as C-3PO's being lowered into some, like, robot bath. He's, like, got this, like, model, and he's, like, flying it around. I don't know if you noticed, when he first is sitting there, he's just flying this, like, little spaceship around. I'm like, dude, you are like 18 years of age. What are you, what are you doing I have, with the droids and playing with spaceships? I have in my notes 19-year-old Leia leading rebellion, 19-year-old Luke <laughs> going noom noom with a with a, with a toy. Um, and then, like, and he makes comments about how R2's got lots of scouring and says, "You boys must have seen a lot of action." And then when he finds out they're in the rebellion, he like can't believe his stars. He goes, "You know of the rebellion?" How else do you think he got all like, the scour marks on him? And what what's this action? You I don't want to know what this action he thinks that C three PO's got. Had now. a really bad last master. Yeah, I don't know. And so then you know he hits the wrong button, and out comes you know he's tr- he's trying to do what I was trying to do with my, my X wing. He's trying to pry off the the sort of R two D two unit, and we get the help me Obi Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Over and over and over again. And Luke's response isn't we should help her. Who is she? It's just she's beautiful. <laughs> and he goes, oh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I wonder if he means old Ben. And I'm like, okay, look, if you're hiding out on some planet, maybe like just changing your first name to something that's all, you know, they call him old Ben Kenobi. Okay, let's see what Obi-Wan, old Ben Kenobi. It's not that different, is it? No. And let's keep the surname because that, 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 that won't be a tip off. That really just, just in case he ever needed yes. finding. Yeah, so it just helps. He goes, oh, and then he brings up to Uncle Owen, and he goes, you know about old Ben Kenobi? He goes, oh no, don't do that. He knew your father. Like, okay, from what we know about Luke, if you mention his dad, Luke will pretty much do anything. <laughs> yeah, you know, as someone who you know, m- my dad died young, and so if you probably went, oh yeah, I, I knew your dad. It's enough for me to go tell me everything you know. I got to go find out all the information that you know about this. So, you know, Luke naturally, like if, if Owen's job really is, like, dissuade him off. He should go, oh, he died years ago. You know, he, you know, he beat up women or something like that. Like, that would make him go, oh, okay, I'm not going to go looking for him. Yeah, I don't know. He knew your father. Like, it's just the opposite effect. <laughs> you may as well just go, you know, oh, he gives away money to people who knock on his door. <laughs> and, um, oh, I'm the- Oh, so Luke's frustrated that he can't go anywhere. Oh, so Luke goes, oh, I, I was thinking maybe next year I could go to the academy. And Owen goes, no, nah, I need you for another year. And he goes, oh. And he goes, well, come on. And so Luke storms off. And they go, where are you going? He goes, nowhere, I guess. And I'm like, welcome to 2020, kid. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> like, I ain't going anywhere either. It's um, just to pre- take a second to appreciate that they're drinking blue milk around the table. With no, that there's milk? no reference to it at all. They just, they're drinking blue milk. Yeah. Excellent. So then, uh, then he goes outside, and we get one of those iconic Star Wars moments where he's looking at the two suns going down, and we get the first of Luke's theme, which is that you know, ba 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 ba
and the end of the era of what he's been living. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, he doesn't know, but yeah, the sun's going down on yeah. his old life in that place. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so during the night, R2-D2 sneaks off and C-3PO goes, oh, that R2 unit's always been trouble. And I'm like, no, yesterday you said he was like the best droid for his money you could have ever gotten. How lucky you were to have that droid. Um, and then uh, they go out to look for him and um, they're attacked by sand people. And as a kid, I don't know, Georgia, you're going to have an issue with this. I found the sand people in Jawas really hard to distinguish about between because they both are completely different. Well, they're both yeah, dressed in different. they're both dressed in beige. No, but the, the, they, they, brown. they oh, brown. move okay, differently. They Light sound different. Brown. Their faces are different. All right. Well, anyway, it was a lot of different characters I'm being introduced to, and the sand people have attacked uh, attack Luke, and then all of a sudden, one cloaked figure scares the lot of them off. Now he's got he's hooded like a Jawa, I suppose. And he makes like a sound. But the sand people have some choice words about that sound. The the sand people have guns. (laughs) But the benefit of this movie is you want to know how you can explain anything? The force. The force. Oh, (laughs) no. The in-universe universe reason. uh, Welcome to Ethan's Nerd Quarter again for unnecessary context. Um, The sound that the hooded figure makes is the sound of a crate dragon, which is like an old uh, monster that used to go through Tatooine. And it shouldn't sound like that. It didn't sound like that in 77. They've changed that sound like five times. Oh, really? Yeah. Because that's the Blu-ray version. In the Blu-ray version, he just sound, He makes like every single sound possible. In the original, he just like... Yeah, that's, that's the one I was expecting to hear. Yeah. So the, the, the noise he's making of that animal, was that the thing you see laying in the desert? With yeah, the that's, the, that's the, oh, really? the, big sort of, yeah, the big skeletal creature that... Um, uh, 3PO walks past, that's like the decrepit remains of a crate dragon. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. I do wonder. So, um, and then we find out that Obi-Wan is Ben. And there's a slight inaccuracy when he goes, are you Obi-Wan Kenobi? He goes, that's a name I haven't used since, well, before you were born. And I'm going, <laughs> And then, we talk a little bit about the Force and what it is, and then we get the hum of a lightsaber. Um, like, forget the visual. And the visual is great, although it's been touched up a million times. But that sound. Like, if you think about all the sort of additions they've made to our respective cultural knowledge, just based on the soundscape that is Star Wars. Yeah, Lightsabers, blasters, TIE fighters. Yeah. Uh, the sound of the blaster fire, the sound of uh, uh, the Millennium Falcon shooting. Off. These are all unique sounds to the Star Wars universe, industrial light and magic, and it's just, it's just sound amazing. Sound of a jower. I don't understand, right? Does Luke know what a Jedi Knight is? No. Right, so why is he fiddling around with this thing that comes out as a lightsaber? Why is he not freaked out by this? <laughs> Jedi's are sort of known, but they're like of they're the like force. they're like the, they're like the old knights of legend. They people know of them, but nothing. They just know what they are, but nothing about now, like we, their actual. Something a bit about it. Why is he not excited by it? Then? We could argue, Liam, that George is right because the force is strong in him. He just it comes out, and he's just <laughs> kind of expecting it. Uh, it, it. It's the great workaround for everything in the Star Wars universe. The force. The force did it. Yeah. Um, 
Why didn't you do the homework? Horse did it. So speaking, <laughs> so he's told, why don't you come Just with me? And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, well, who, Darth Vader? Who's Darth Vader? Oh, Darth Vader, who's that? Oh, he betrayed and murdered your father. So play the dead dad card, and all of a sudden, Luke's like, I'm in. What are we doing? <laughs> Can I just say about this scene? I love this scene so much, and it's solely because of Alec Guinness. And I have here in my notes, Alec Guinness is amazing in this scene solely because he knows nothing about Kenobi's backstory. It's not been been created no. yet. It's just, it's literally just still flowing around Lucas's mind. He doesn't know anything about that, but he's able to just convey this all of Ben's regret and his guilt and his pain, just like in his facial expressions, especially in the bit was like, he was a good friend and all this. It's just the, li- the little sort of pauses and facial reactions, especially when like Luke's like, how did my father die? He just, sort of, he gets taken back. And a couple of really interesting points about Sir Alec Guinness is that this is the, the role he's easily most known for. But I mean, this guy was a classical actor, classical, yep. classical actor. And he was in the first production of an Inspector Calls that ever was, was, was played. Who did he play? Uh, I imagine he must have played Eric. Eric he, or Gerald. It had to be young, one of those two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, and he, apparently he hated Star Wars so much. So much. And would yeah. be like, I hate, he refused to sign autographs. Apparently he promised one kid once he'd sign his autograph. After the kid admitted he'd seen Star Wars a hundred times, he said, I will sign your autograph if you promise me you never watch that again. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, a couple more things. Uh, apparently, Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill didn't take anything seriously on set except for the times when Sir Alec Guinness was on set. Then they would behave because they respected <laughs> Alec Guinness too much. And the best one is Carrie Fisher was asked years after Alec Guinness passed, tell us a juicy story about uh, Sir Alec Guinness. And she went, well, once he paid Mark Hamill 20 pounds to go away. <laughs> 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 because Mark Hamill wouldn't stop asking him questions about his career anyway. Here's 20 pounds. Leave me alone. That's amazing. <laughs> which I thought was great. And he wore a toupee in the film, which I thought was kind of interesting. I think, so, weren't they drunk during some scenes? I have as no far idea. as I know. I mean, it sounds like they didn't take much seriously. And I think I mean, Guinness Ford and Hamill were. Maybe, because Guinness made this script sound decent, and it wasn't. Um... So the mission is deliver the droid to Alderaan. The message from Princess Leia comes up. We, go, we, we have our plan. We need to get to Alderaan. This is the almost need to be end of Act 1, or they start Act 2. Get the droid to Alderaan. And there's so much dialogue and exposition because it goes, well, what should we do? Well, we will go here, and then we will do this, and we will do that. And they discover that uh, on the way home that the Jawas have been slaughtered by the Empire. But yeah. Luke thinks it's the Sand People, and he goes, no, no, no. Obi-Wan goes, they're supposed to look like it's Sand Hill, but look at this. Only stormtrooper blasters could be so accurate. At which point I fell off the couch <laughs> laughing at the idea that only stormtroopers could be this accurate. What the guys who never hit anything. <laughs> like, have you seen the size of this ship? Yes, that they can hit. I believe that's the thing they can hit. So Jawas. I, I love I love the way that Luke that Mark Hamill says home when he's like, it's just like the way, he says it with so much fear and like genuine like terror. I lo- I love it. Just the way he says home. And then we have a scene that happens in the boardroom where we have it's it's very evil League of Evil. Like you know, I, I, there's not a whole lot I need to get to invest in a villain, but basically they went around when we are really evil. Yes, we're evil. How we rule? We will rule by fear. And then Vader goes, and besides that, we have the Force. One goes, oh, oh, I don't believe in the Force, because Vader's never demonstrated his power. 
No, this guy exists so that we get to see it. And this is the first time we see a forced choke. At which point, Grand Moff Tarkin sort of kind of heals his dog. And it was really interesting. I forgot, I think, that in the first one, Vader's like a right-hand man and not the... He's like the military, I'm going to beat him myself, but not that ruler guy. He's Batista in that one James Bond film. He's there and menacing, but he has no no real effect. Yeah, Liam, what were you saying? Yeah, I totally forgot all about that. You know, you, you... You see Vader and you think he's the one who's leading the way. And then Peter Cushion's character sort of brings him into line. And you're like, ooh, I totally forgot all about that. Do you know what I mean? Peter Cushion's character, you will love this. So in his costume, you'll see very few long shots of Peter Cushing in this film. Because the boots that he got, I believe they were too small and they hurt his feet. And so he kind of insisted you shoot me from like the knees up whenever you can. And he walked around on slippers on the set. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that makes that one older one scene even better. Yeah. And so, um, so he's told Vader's told to release him and Vader says, as you wish. And as we all know from princess bride, when Vader says, as you wish, what he's really telling Tarkin is, I love you. I love you. Um, I've got so then they, they rush home. Uh, they, I mean, um, Obi Wan and not yeah Obi Wan and Luke, and they find out that uh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru are have been slaughtered. This is brutal. With some brutal like skeleton sort of things happening like, there. It's Which so I never weird. noticed before. I wonder if that was something that was added. I no, think I think that was added. that was ori- that was originally in it. Oh, was it really? Okay, Ooh. yeah. It's just so graphic because you've got. It's not just two skeletons, but they've got like little bits of blood and flesh on them and stuff. And I think are they sort of yeah, smoking as well with all the ash around? It's disgusting. At which point it's I've like got that they've burnt alive. Yeah. yeah. At which point Mark Hamill goes off to the side and and thinks he's looking sad for about five seconds, and then comes over and goes, <laughs> "I want to go with you. I want to be a Jedi not like my father. There's nothing for me here." And I've got written down, Mark Hamill is a bad actor. <laughs> I've got the yeah. impression he doesn't really do grief. No, he doesn't. Uh, I'll give him this. It's not a particularly good script. We know that George Lucas can't write dialogue. We know this. But Mark, like Harrison Ford does a good job. Alec Guinness does a good job. Carrie Fisher does a really good job, I think. with Mark Hamill, it, it does. He does not Bless. get. He does not get enough criticism for how bad he is in this film. Just saying. <laughs> uh, and then we go to Mos Eisley, because that's where they're going to find a transport that's going to get them to Alderaan. And this is where we first discover the Jedi mind trick, which is something cool that will happen once in this film and we will never see again. We'll see an attempt very, to do it again. It's a very cool little scene, though. It's very, very well done. But I, I did enjoy that. But it's just one of those things where like, we're going to establish it. That's what the rest of the, the, the film really, really you know, easy for them. We'll never see them use it again. Oh, Really? What I found really funny was how Luke was like, oh my God, I can't understand how we got past them. How did you do that? And Obi-Wan just goes, the Force can have a strong effect on the weak-minded. And Luke just goes, okay. Oh, (laughs) so clearly you're weak-minded as well I wonder if that was the second Jedi mind trick. Oh, okay, I get it, yeah. (laughs) And again, it's just one of those questions that just the audience needs to know this. So Luke asked me this question and looked really amazed. Like, like he's got his finger and he's using this tone of voice as a, you don't need to see us. Oh, what was that? Well, what do you think it was? <laughs> um, so then we go to the cantina where we establish droid racism. They'll let everything else in this thing, but not droids. 
Yeah. I love the cantina. Absolutely adore it. More, I think it's amazing. More of Jim Henson's rejected creations or rip-offs from the Jim Henson workout <laughs> work, workshop. Sorry. Uh, we have the cantina band who famously know just the one song. Oh, the Jizz Wailers. Oh, no, they've got the other one. Well, I, think I think they've added that in. That's the continuation. No, 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 there's like a second one. It's like a slow jazz one. Don't, don't, don't discredit the Jizz Wailers. As this is going on, we have the Rogue One, I don't like you, he doesn't like you either pair. Thank you very much for that. Bumface and his, and his kind of half pig friend. Honda, Babu, and I don't know the other guy's name. Can we just talk as well about the fact that Luke orders a drink by, like, tugging on the bartender's shirt? It's really weird. Uh, then enter Han Solo and Chewie. Uh, Harrison Ford, interestingly enough, uh, was not allowed to audition for Star Wars. Uh, George Lucas said, no, no, you're not doing it. You're not doing it. I'm not having you in it. Because Harrison Ford was in American Graffiti. And kind of similar to a story we heard about on our other podcast, Talking the Mickey, uh, Harrison Ford was brought in just to read lines with actors who were auditioning. And he was just there to do George a favor. And in the process, basically had like a week's long audition for Han Solo. And he finally went, yeah, you're, you're, you're Han Solo. So, um, and then we have the bit with Greedo. And Ethan, maybe you can talk to us about this. This will be quite good to get into. The whole many, I mean, remember, this film won best picture, sorry, best editing at the Oscars, and yet George Lucas won't leave it alone. So So, let's talk about the scene. So for context, the reason that the the movie even won best editing was because it was edited by George Lucas's wife who saved this film. Yes. This film would have been terrible without her. But uh, in like the early 90s, George Lucas decided, okay, I have CGI and there are all these other things I want to do. And he just re-edited specifically A New Hope. He put extra CGI, like CGI rocks in like a couple scenes that didn't need to be added. But the most uh, infamous one is the Greedo Han Solo scene, which is the whole Han shot first, Greedo shot first thing. In the 90s, they just superimposed it so that... uh, they both shot at the same time, or that like it was sort of just a really bad Mexican duel. Uh, in the two, in like two thousand four, when they did it for the DVDs, they had it that Han Solo's head moved very jerkily uh, to the right, and it looks terrible. Uh, in like the Blu-ray ones, they did another edition, and in this, uh, it will be different for Liam's. I don't know what copy Liam has. I think you have the DVD copy. Yeah. So, yeah, Liam's got the DVD copy, which is the, the jerky sort of head movement. Uh, we all watched it on Disney+, Plus, and the Disney+, Plus uh, copy has what is the, jo- the final George Lucas cut. George Lucas was able to re-edit this back in 2012, when they were uh, re-editing them again to come out in 3D. Um, they did the first one, but n- none of the other films. But... This scene has Greedo uh, say Moklunky, which is, uh, I think, Trandoshan for I'll kill you now. And it's just Greedo's way of saying, I'm going to kill you, be prepared. Because George Lucas didn't like the idea that Han Solo was first shown as a murderer. So they needed a reason for him to kill Greedo other than just, he's a scoundrel. See, Liam, my issue with this, because I mean, I got feelings about Han Solo. And it's that if you want to have a redemption, a redemptive arc... He has to be a character in need of redemption. 
Exactly. I, agree. So I like the fact that he's a scoundrel. I mean, we've known Greedo for about 60 seconds. We know he wants to shoot Obi-Wan, not Obi-Wan, Han Solo, or at the very least, pay me the money you owe Jabba. I mean, like, the guy's slime. I, you know, I was fine a minute ago with that, you know, random butt face guy getting his arm chopped off. Yeah. Like, yeah, he came at Luke, kind of, but not to that degree. And with Han Solo, it's all about money. Yeah. It's money. Yeah. How much are you going to pay me? Han's only killing him once it becomes established. This guy's going to take me in, so I need to kill him to get out of the situation. He's the scoundrel. Yeah. It's part of the charm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, then we have, um, before this, we had Han and um, Chewie meet Obi-Wan and Luke. And Luke is a dick. <laughs> He really is. He is. He's just, he's just so interrupting, and he's just like, it's like, just stop. Because Obi Wan's trying to negotiate. He goes, 10,000 credits. He goes, 10,000? We can almost buy our own ship for that. Come on, let's get out of here. Well, I can fly, you can fly a ship. I can fly it better than you. And I'm like, shut up, Luke. <laughs> shut up. Um, so then we have uh, a new scene, which wasn't in the original um, 1977 release, but came out in mm. the 90s on the DVD which is Han meeting Jabba in front of the Falcon. Originally, Jabba wasn't supposed to be a lizard. It was supposed to be some other sort of creature. And the problem became, when they realized they couldn't use it, they just got rid of it. Uh, and it was supposed to be a bit more human-like. He was a big northern guy. Yes, Literally he was. Just a, he was he's a big, fat northern guy. He's like, ah, to me, boy. Yeah. And the problem sorry, with it, though... we not refer to him as a lizard? He's definitely a massive slug. Okay, slug. And the problem is, he walks behind Jabba at one point, and they went, well, what can we do with this? And I remember watching this on my stepdad had uh, the DVDs, and they talked about it in detail, all the changes that Lucas made to make it better for us. And, and, I hate and, the changes. And, uh, this is a scene, I don't, I prefer the scene being here. I'll, I'll, I'll give it this. I, I like the scene. I don't. Oh, do you not? Okay, I, I like the scene. I, it, it's a repeat of the Greedo scene. He's literally saying, well, why didn't you give me the money? Exactly. Blah, blah, blah. I think it's important for episode for, for when we see Jabba in later iterations. Can, can, can I say that? Yeah. I, I like the fact that we got introduced to him here. As someone who has no knowledge of Jabba in later iterations, I didn't see the point in the scene either. Oh, I like it. But at the bit where he goes to Jabba, even I get bored sometimes. But when he walks behind him, they have to digitally raise him because Jabba's got a tail we've established. So in order for <laughs> this to happen, you have to digitally, and it looks so fake if you're looking for it, just Han just sort of floats up in the air for a minute, and they have to have like Jabba act like his tail's been jumped on. But the problem yeah, is, flinches. but the problem is, <laughs> none of the rest of the dialogue would make sense if he just walked on someone's tail. Like Jabba should be upset, and Han should be apologizing. But Jabba's just cool with it. Yeah, go ahead, walk on my tail some more. This is a complete side note to the actual podcast. Um, there are two versions of this scene where Jabba's rendered in CGI. I'm showing you the original version. I'm sending it in the Skype call now because I want I want you to know how terrible this originally was in like 1997. Okay, so that's the okay. I just saw it. Yeah, that's the original one. The the one that we see is the upgraded version. I but I yeah I I think this scene is kind of defeats the 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 point of Jabba's introduction in six because I like the idea that you you talk about Jabba just like he's this big menacing thing, and then when you show him in six. Is he's so much different and he is menacing and terrifying yeah, and this like sort of it. just makes him like a butt of a joke. There's been almost. years though. There's been years. Yeah. So, I'm with you, Ethan. Okay. 
So I'm going to go aboard the Falcon, and Luke Skywalker is that six-year-old kid who wants to know what everything is. What does that do? He gets why, even more annoying. Why honestly. can't we jump to hyperspace? What's that red button? Some pilot you turned out to be. I'm like, I hate Luke. And this is all at the time when Han is trying to fly them away as fast as possible from danger. It's like, shut up but, and let the pilot drive. But because the art, George Lucas thinks the audience needs to know these things, he still has to answer them. And that's like, he just went, shut up, kid, and just flew. Or grab that blaster and shoot him. McCluskey or whatever it was. Um, and then Leia has a standoff, fucking the ship with Grandma Tarkin. And sort of he sort of tries to intimidate her. I'm like, Leia is badass with Grandma Tarkin. She's great. She's so good. Yeah. She She's even so mocks his accent. This. I'll tell you what, as a kid, I didn't like Leia. As an adult watching it now, I thought Leia was great. Something that intrigued me, though, whilst I was watching it, because I noticed it several times, they refer to her as Leah. And yeah, we, obviously, yeah, that was noticed here. nowadays, she's definitely Leia, and that it's completely 50, threw me it's off. It's 50-50 in this film. Some characters called her Leia, some characters called her Leah, and it was a bit of a, a throw. Um, and I guess this, they didn't do Context Corner in the uh, script department. <laughs> so they blow up Alderaan in front of her, trying to trick her into giving the uh, base, uh, the location of the Rebel base. At which point, when it blows up, she's so shaken, like Vader puts his hand on her shoulder. And I'm like, wow, your force sensitivity sucks, dude. Yeah. Just, just um, saying that. Uh, and then we get Luke training, and R2-D2's playing Chewie at chess, and it's all very... It's just more exposition, except for the point when, when, the, when the lesson's over, and um, Luke looks at Han and goes, you don't believe in the force, do you, Han? And he goes, no, I don't believe in some secret all-purpose force. That's what's wrong with you, Han. And I'm like, you only know what the force is for like a day and a half, kid. Luke <laughs> yes. Skywalker is that kid who discovered like some, some kind of some kind of either <laughs> band, like a band. And he's like, do, do you know who like the Ramones are? And he's like, no, not really. Well, that's what's wrong with your music taste. You don't know the Ramones. Yeah. Luke would be the original OK Boomer for some guy 10, 15 years older than him. Who's like, no, I don't know. What that's what's wrong with you. Um, and then um, we have this thing with a short range. Oh, so they jump to hyperspace on the other side. Alderaan's not there, but there's a short range fighter. And then it turns out, they go, oh, he's not, the, the fighter's going to hide behind the moon. And we get that great, that's no moon by, by Obi-Wan. And then we get the first, I think this one's by, is it Han? I have a bad feeling about this. Yeah. yeah. Which is an iconic Star Wars line. Uh, once again, I've got Vader's force sucks. Because they get on the ship and he feels the presence of Obi-Wan. But that's the only person he feels the presence of. Mainly because George Lucas doesn't know where he's going with the story yet. <laughs> yeah. He should feel two others. He should. Yeah. Um. And then Luke dresses up as a stormtrooper and they break into the holding tank area or sort of like some sort of central nerve system. Turns out R2-D2 is a universal USB, which is convenient. And then this comes the idea that they need to rescue Princess Leia from the prison here. Yes, Liam? There's a bit when um, uh, Luke goes in to find Leia as a stormtrooper and she goes, you're very small, like for a stormtrooper. Knowing that he won't, he wasn't one. So what about all the other stormtroopers he passed? Wouldn't they know that? That's why <laughs> she's princess. She's really observant. Mm. <laughs> also, how does he fit in a stormtrooper costume if he's really small? Yeah. 
Um, and then we get the idea, and they go, well, we need to save her. They get the locations of where she is, thanks to, you know, the USB Bluetooth on R2-D2. And they go down, and the doors open in the elevator, and they do the old, we're, we're, we're transporting the prisoner trick to set from cell block THX 1138, which is the, the reference to the, uh, to the old film. And they kill everybody in the room because the stormtroopers thankfully have bad aim so that Luke and uh, Han can take out all of the cameras and people at the same time. And then the intercom comes and goes, explain yourself, what are you doing here? And so Han kind of goes through the lines that he's got, but he purposely does them like improv style. And that's why it sounds so like uh, believable. He's like, oh, um, nothing. We're fine. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) And then as it's over, he blasts it and says it was a boring conversation. Anyway, Harrison Ford made no mistake to let George Lucas know how much he hated his script. (laughs) He said to George Lucas, and I quote... If I can find it. Oh, you can type this shit, but you can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> so he was very clear to go, this wasn't a good script. I um, did love that little line, though. It was a boring conversation anyway. Like, that was brilliant. It One of the laughs from the film that, it, that I found anyway. There are some nice little quips in this that, like, my big issue with the current, the recent Star Wars films is they focus on it too much. But they're like those nice little lines, especially it's like a bit before when Han's like, I'm not going to rescue no princess. What's she going to do for me? And Luke just goes, she's rich. Yeah. And immediately uh, changes his mind. And this is their motivation. It's really interesting because Luke wants to do because it's the honorable thing to do. She needs help. It's the right thing to do. He believes in Obi-Wan. This is what we should do. But also he's already seen her and knows that she's beautiful. She's beautiful. Han goes... I want the money. And justifiably, if he can't come up with some money for Jabba the Hutt, he is dead. We've been told that not once, but twice. And Jabba had him, found him on the planet in the version we saw. So, found him on Tatooine. So, Leia and Luke come on out, and uh, they're instantly met by a bunch of stormtroopers. Leia calls them all flyboys and shoots open a garbage chute, and they go down into the garbage chute. And as a kid, this was the scene that scared me the most. Oh, yeah. This is one of the scenes that I remember watching as a child. Like, this scene with the garbage compactor is yep. something that I remember seeing when I was young, which is something that is quite strange that that sticks out. So we need 90 seconds of tension, so a garbage monster grabs Luke for no reason. Let's go at it for no reason. <laughs> but just before this, Han Solo tries to blast the doors, and everybody yells at Han. He's like, would you stop doing that, Luke says. He goes, I already tried it. And I'm like, well, then why are you yelling at Han? He didn't know. He just did the exact same thing. And even Leia's going like, you're a jerk. I'm like, no, he's, 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 he's doing the same thing everybody else did. There's nothing wrong with it. If, if he'd already seen that that happened, then that is a pretty dick move, isn't it? And speaking of a dick move, we see the, we see the uh, monster come up from the uh, whatever, <laughs> and it kind of looks like a penis. <laughs> Not that I noticed. That no. monster... That little monster, if you go to a water fountain in the parks in um, Galaxy's Edge, if you press the water fountain down for long enough, that little monster pops up in the water and then goes back down again. Fun fact about that scene, when Mark Hamill gets taken down by, like, the Dianoga, uh, he, he like, popped a vein uh, in his head. A blood vessel, yeah. Yeah, a blood vessel, because, like, he was having to hold his breath for so long. And if you look at the rest of the shots from that scene, they're all from one side of his face and not the other because they couldn't shoot from the other side because of the burst blood vessel. So Leia responds quickly to the walls caving in on them. 
and finds this giant pole to uh, like brace or jam the walls as they come in. And they go, I know what we'll do, Luke decides. We need to call 3PO. And 3PO is surprisingly brave because back at the control center, the, 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 the uh, stormtroopers have sort of made their way back in. And um, he sort of gets rid of half of them by going, they went to the prison. If you hurry, you can still catch them. And then he gets past the last one by telling them that R2-D2 needs to go for maintenance. And then he remembers, oh, I need to turn on my transponder or whatever so they can, we can hear them. And he gets C-3PO to, not R2-D2 to stop the walls just before they are crushed. At which point they go, they're like so happy, they're like yelling. And so 3PO goes, oh no, listen to that R2, they're dying. Yeah. <laughs> it's the one genuine belly laugh I got out of this film today. I loved it. Yeah, I enjoyed that bit as well. Uh, we cut to Obi-Wan, who I haven't mentioned, has cleared off a while back uh, in order to turn the power off for the tractor beam so they can get out of there. Uh, they split up. And then as part of the split up, so uh, Han goes with Chewie and Luke goes with Leia and they end up needing to get across this bridge. Well, not even a bridge, just like there's like a missing walkway between they two segments. They call it a bridge? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a bridge that's not been extended out and then there's a bit about how he's just blasted the controls for and it. And something to do with Star Wars is you're going to have long vertical pits inside starships. It just is what spaceships, it, is, it's good, it just is what's, what's going to happen. And just before he extends this sort of a grappling hook and they swing across, which they actually did. That was actually them and did not require stunt people. That's uh, cool. Leia gives Luke a kiss on the cheek and he kind of looks at her like a, yeah, you did sort of look. And I had a friend who used to tell me back when I used to work at a factory in Canada that George Lucas was a genius, that he had already planned all six films of that from the start. I went to him and explained all the freaky deaky sexual chemistry between Luke and Leia in the first film. And he kind of just looked at me. Second. Well, in the second, yeah. But especially, yeah. There are two kisses in the second one. So they split up. There's a, and there's a cheeky kiss on the cheek. And then we have the, the, the face-off to the most low-energy fight scene ever. Obi-Wan versus Vader. And there's some bad dialogue in this. When we met before, because again, it's more exposition. I, I was but a child, but now I am the master and you are the trainer, trainee or something like that. And Obi-Wan goes, you're only a master of evil, Darth. And I'm like, oh, God, this is bad. Even, even Sir Alec can't rescue this. In the original cut before it, like, they got edited, it's so much worse. There's, like, triple the, yeah. the dialogue. Yeah, I looked at it. it. It's, it's rough. It's like one, one um, stroke of my blade may, may, may kill you, but if you strike me down, oh, it's bad. Um, it's definitely a 4 out of 10 fight scene. It was the only fight scene that the original Darth Vader, Mr. Prowse, was ever allowed to do. Because he kept breaking the wooden like sword thingy that they used in place of the lightsaber, he just kept breaking it. <laughs> so he was after that. It was only stunt people from then on in allowed to do the fight scenes. Um, and then everybody from the Empire like goes to watch the fight. Like it's like like one guy behind, like oh cool, look, there's a fight with the boss. Let's go look. And like no fight, one guards fight, anything fight, else, fight. even though they're aware there's always the people running around. So then the rest of our heroes make their way back to the Falcon. Um, Obi-Wan sees Luke sort of running to the Falcon and kind of then just like puts his hands down and lets Luke see him get slaughtered although he disappears at which point I mean I, I get that you're upset but you're also trying to get away and Luke just can't help but go no and make you know they would have like like pretty much walked out otherwise 
But then we see the amazing Luke grief moment again, which just doesn't exist. I've got this written down here, but Lucas shows more grief for the death of Ben Kenobi, who he's known for a day and a half, than he did for his like aunt and uncle who raised him. He, yeah. he does, but so again, all why, of why? His... Why is that? The, the Force. <laughs> <laughs> but his entire grief is just him shouting no, and yeah, then is, then they're back on the ship. And he's just true. completely normal. There's no like sadness in his eyes or that anything. That is true because he just has a blank, and he's like, I can't believe he's gone. Because because they get back on the ship and they go to those cannons with like the really cool sort of you know Atari twenty six hundred graphics, and as they shoot one, Luke's like yeah. And so we get the Han Solo, don't get cocky, kid. And he like Luke's like happier than a kid at Christmas. You got the toy he always wanted. <laughs> it's like this, like you know, range is good, but you need to have some middles as well. Um, and then um, they escape, and we find out there's a homing beacon that's been put on the ship. Something Leia reminds us we didn't get away. They're tracking us. There's a homing beacon on the ship. And this is where I forget there's a third act. Because I always think this is the end of the film. I wish this was the end of the film. And in many ways it was, in a sense. Because from here on in is when the film drastically gets edited a much different way than it was originally planned. Because in the original plan, the Death Star doesn't travel to the Rebel base. It's just floating there in space. And then Luke and company come and blow it up. And the problem with that is it made our heroes look like cold-blooded murderers because they weren't defending their lives. They just went out and killed like a million people. So are they any different from the Empire then? So well after it was shown, like I said at the start of the podcast, well after it was shown to Brian De Palma and Steven Spielberg and others, uh, it was Mrs. Lucas and, and company who went back into the editing room and they reshot some footage, reused some footage, used overdub dialogue, and sort of created the illusion that the Death Star travels to the Rebel base. Because in reality, that never happens. And so they sort of created this race against time where there wasn't one. So Han's going to take his money and he's going to leave. And Leia's really upset about this. And goes, well, I guess you got what's important to you. And sure enough, Han goes, listen, sweetheart, this was the deal. And it was the deal. This was the deal he was told. Rescue her. She is rich. And she's going, fine, you get all the money you want. And I'm like, since when have rebellions been always flush with cash? Because the Empire can't afford a laser to blow up C-3PO and R2-D2. But Leia's got like millions to pay off Han and just say, fine, take the money. And he leaves and goes, you know, I'm the only one who's the boss of me. And off he goes. And then Luke comes in. He goes, and Luke's that annoying guy. What's wrong? Oh, it's your friend here. All he cares about is money. It's like he cares about anything else. And Luke goes, I care. And I'm like, I, I, I hate you, Luke Skywalker. I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Somehow the Starbase, the, the, the Death Star is like within half an hour of Alderaan. And the question, not Alderaan, of the Rebel Base. And the question here is, has there been a time jump, do we think? I think, I have no idea if it can. I think... Because can the Millennium the Falcon Star... like is going like hyperspace. If, if a Death Star can do that, they don't need any of her ship. Good then, then it's not a space station. Then it's just a giant ship, isn't it? Yeah. No, because I, I, I want, I want to say the reason why is because the amount of power it put that it's like one trip like a day a week, but that doesn't. I have no 
no. something to think about. Then we get we stumped Ethan. Here's the plan. This is going to go forward because Princess Leah, as we're told, has got us the blueprints to the Death Star. And they found out there's one little secret button that if we basically shoot a um, shoot a rocket into it, it'll make the whole thing go boom, which is convenient and something they would do for every film in the rest of the series, it felt like. And as they leave... The movie's got a movie. As they leave, the guy who's running the thing says, may the Force be with you. Now, you know, Luke had never heard of the Force before this, but now it's like the thing they teach with the military academy? I think the Rebellion's different because they have that whole sort of more understanding no the the rebellion's different because they need the audience to remember that the force is a thing so that when we hear ben later it makes sense (laughs) this is nothing more than the audience needs to remember the force is a thing so then luke's about to get in his his, and then we're reminded oh it'll be like old times yeah back when you were the best shooter ever yeah it was the best shooter ever oh it's gonna be fun again yeah it will and then the, the boss comes up and goes are you sure you can handle this? And then, is it Wedge? No, it's Biggs. Uh, Biggs. Biggs goes, oh, don't worry. He's the best pilot in the Outer Rim. At which point, the guy goes, sold. And he just walks away. Like, it was a one-question interview. It's like that joke from Monty Python's Life of Brian. You've really got to hate the Romans. I do. How much? A lot. All right, you're in. <laughs> and then we have the final fight. And I'm going to skip over it. Because not a lot happens in the final fight. It's a lot of close-ups of guys in their ships saying, I've been hit, and then exploding. So um, this is where I was just asleep for for the first time I watched this film. It's like Black Leader goes and he gets blown up. Red Leader goes. Red, le- red Leader to Gold Leader. This gold is leader Red blows Leader. Up. Yes. I've been hit. Red Leader. Red Leader goes and he hits it, but only on the surface. He doesn't make it. make it go like it's not a proper basketball shot that goes in. And then uh, Luke, who is Red Five, goes for a run. And as a quick aside, Liam. Nigel Mansell, the F1 driver, was always yep. number five, or always had a number red five on his race car. And it's because of Luke Skywalker from this film. He was red five. He was a big oh, really? Star Wars fan. He really was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So, just a little sad. Never Luke Skywalker goes for a go. Now, in the original cut, Luke took two runs at it. And they went, it's too long. And I'm like, yeah, you got that right. It's still too long by a whole bunch. <laughs> yep. But Luke goes down, only to find out that Vader and two cronies are behind him. But wouldn't you know it, here comes Han Solo, our old buddy, our old pal, out of nowhere for the save. The sidekick that you thought disappeared is back for the third act. He's in a change of heart. And now he's gone from being like cool guy Han Solo to like, you know, he's as dorky as Luke. Woohoo! You go get him, Luke! I've got the way paved for you! And um, Darth Vader is especially flown off into space to make way for a sequel. They didn't know what it would be yet, but they wanted to keep the idea that Vader's always out there as something that would be present. Um, at this point, we cut back to Grand Moff Tarkin, who's offered, hey, you can leave if you want. We got your ship ready. He's like, leave in our hour of triumph? Why would I do that? And I've got Tarkin being hubris is hubrisful. <laughs> um, and then, sure enough... Uh, um, Luke goes to the final trip. He's told, use the force, Luke. So he turns off his computer and we're led to believe he like manually fires it, but he's in a machine. It's not like Luke's actually like, throwing the rocket himself. Yeah. But he does. It goes in. Everything goes kablooey. In the process, uh, R2-D2 gets zapped. They get back and everyone's cheering and there's a big triple hug moment between the three of them. And R2-D2 comes out and he's like fried. And Luke's like, 
oh, don't worry. He'll be all right. And we're like, oh, okay. He'll be all right. <laughs> and then we cut to somewhere. I don't know. It's not Alderaan because Alderaan's in pieces. Yavin 4. Yavin 4. Yep. And Luke gets a medal and Han gets a medal and Chewie's allowed to stand beside them as they get their medals. No medal. No medal for Chewie. I hate this ending. Why is that? I just think that was too tripe. Is that the word? Um, I didn't. It was like it was um, trying to put an end to an end of a film. Like that's not going to be another sequel or anything. It was just, just like a, shoehorn on the end, isn't it? See, I liked. I hated most of the final scene, but I like the yeah. bit where Leia gives Han his medal first, and he takes it and then he winks at her. And then she gives the medal to Luke, and Luke kind of just like smiles, like, oh gosh. And she kind of looks between them, and it's clear this is our love triangle. She's attracted to both of them. And, and this is very much the Han is the bad boy, the boy you shouldn't like, but you know you do. And yeah. Luke is like the safe choice who will always do the honorable thing, but he's a dork. You know what? I was so bored by this point, I didn't even notice that. Absolutely. And that's, that's like the kind of thing that I might have actually been a bit interested in. Because I like sort of a whereas like Chewie's like like the guy who like hangs out with the bad guy, but you don't see he's a sexual partner in any way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Chewie, gets I wonder the, why. And Chewie gets the last <laughs> Chewie gets the last line in in this film by going mm-hmm. whatever it was, and that's Peter Mayhew was hired because he was like seven foot three. <laughs> that's why he got the job because he fit the costume, and even still, they put like high heeled boots on him to make him seven wow. five. You know what the best thing about this last scene is? Leia's hair. It's finally not in those ridiculous, like, what do you call money? Buns. Cinnamon walls. The buns, yeah. Um, it, it actually looks really, really fancy in this scene. I was like, excellent. Yeah. And that, and then we get the end theme of Star Wars with our yellow font back on the space stuff. So that was uh, Star Wars on May 4th. Liam, this is the bit where I go, so what, what do we think? Does, does, does it hold up? It's been 12, not 20, geez, it's been 43 years. How does it do? Right, in my opinion, the very first theatrical release I really enjoy. I don't like all the fiddling about that he did later on. I mean, yeah. I didn't, I, that kind of took away from me. I didn't, it didn't gel with the old 70s feel to it. I think when we rate it, it's going to be important to go. We're not rating based on... I mean, we can rate this version, but if we go, I don't like the changes. The changes are a 3 and a 10, but we still have like the overarching film to talk about in that. Because I don't like the changes either, but we still have to consider like the story. But I, I'm with you. There are shots where like it's just really glossy... Like the stormtrooper riding that giant whatever it is on Tatooine outside of Mos Eisley or whatever. And you're going, it just doesn't look like it fits. It just no. sticks out rather than add to it. It makes you go, oh, I don't like that. There were, bit, there were bits. Like Vader gets thrown off course and go off into space. That looks so rubbish. Okay. It doesn't, on that release, it doesn't seem right. It just, um, I don't know. It, and there's like little bits where like, there's animals fighting with each other, yeah. you know, for a bit of comicness. That don't need it. It's, it's pointless. I just want to get for a film that was nominated for Best Picture, why do you keep doing it? I did read something, Ethan, that said that part of the reason why Han doesn't shoot first the second time around is that the MPAA refused to give it a PG rating if Han shoots first. Because <laughs> at that point, they, yeah, they would have gone... 
I don't know if PG-13 exists for home movies. I guess it does. Yeah, they would have gone that direction. And they just I wanted... it was the 80s that PG-13... Because th- it was Temple of Doom that Temple, caused Tem- PG-13. Temple of Doom yeah. and Gremlins of the two films yeah. that pushed that in. 84. Uh, yeah, 84. So you're right. But I don't know if it was the deal that PG-13 would be too big of a deal and would scare people away from going to see it when it came back out. Whatever it was, the rumor is that it was the MPAA that uh, kind of pushed the hand on that specific one. On the flip side, though, when Star Wars itself came out, they purposely added in a few hells and dams to make sure it didn't get a G rating in the United States, which is like the U rating here. They didn't want that. They wanted to make sure it got a PG rating so people didn't think it was a little kid film. Because hmm. Sir Alec Guinness definitely thought he was making a little kid film. Yeah. So they added in some mild profanity to get it a PG rating and, and stay away from, uh, from what they thought was a mark of death, being labeled a kid's film. So anyway... Uh, 43 years. Well, that's for me and Liam. Well, we're, not, we're 43. But anybody else, how did it hold up versus what do you remember? What do you think? Uh, Ethan, as our most uh, seasoned. It's it's really strange because I, 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 I usually watch this film like five times a year. I love this film. But I, I watched it for the first time like with the mindset of someone sitting in the cinema in 1977. And if you if you think about it, when it came out, this film shouldn't it shouldn't have been made. Like, from a technical point of view, this is it's astonishing. It's, it's remarkable. Yeah, mm. it is like ev- everything about it is just amazing. Like we're 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 ext- we're so privileged when it comes to films now because we can just like compare this like the the end scene here to the end scene in Avengers Endgame. Yeah, and both have a lot of tension but if you show that to some like the end game scene to someone in 1977 they're going to they're not going to know what's what's up and what's down yeah but this point. it's it's so simplistic but it works everything about it is is perfect it's just it it's nights and it's it's the very sort of basic bad guy good guy here's this here's that and it's in space and done on a budget of 10 million dollars which is mm. which i mean 10 million then i don't know if it's like 50 million now or 40 million now but it's still like a heck of a lot it's, it's a heck of a lot of money i guess but not not like a huge yeah, budget but it, no so they purposely were trying to that flash gordon thing where it's a little bit a little bit kitschy was what they were going for which is now actually star wars wouldn't be kitschy so that you know it's going to be that kind of Everything's going to look so clean and juggernaut and throw all the money at it because we can. And not only that, you've also got to look at the fact that they were being very innovative uh, with um, technology at that time. Oh, yeah. Where Industrial Light and Magic came from yeah. was that film. And you look through the years later, without Star Wars, we wouldn't have had Terminator 2. No. You know, with their CGI stuff. But this whole podcast you could do about the development of sound that happened, the development of what they did with cameras, what they did with uh, practical effects and making miniatures of all these ships and how they shot them. And so George Lucas, I'm going to give him a lot of grief at the end here about his ability to write a script. But you look at what the imagination he had for a universe and it's outstanding, I think. It's stunning. And you, all them ships you see, like the opening scene with the ship flying over, the big ship. Yep. You know, they were all models. Yes, they were. They were yeah. all models. You know, so you, what you're seeing on screen is what what is real life. It's what they made, where nowadays that'd just be CGI'd. Well, you've made some reference to it. I can't get past him, but uh, thoughts on the film? Um, I think I agree, I agree with Liam. I don't like these kind of new bits that have been 
added in over the top they don't fit at all um they didn't line up with your established long-term fandom of star wars (laughs) it's not that it's just like the kind of base of the film you can't change the way that that's been made and i think fairly early on in the film while i was watching it today i was like well this is delightfully shit and (laughs) it it is it's it's got that kind of like old old timey film feel to it because it's not you know pristine cgi it's you can appreciate the the effort that's gone into sort of making these costumes and making these effects happen and it just the way that it all fits together is kind of i mean perhaps not of its time perhaps as ethan was saying it's a bit more advanced than that but it's definitely not of our current time it's got that old feel to it so when you start layering in these kind of cgi dinosaur looking things like it looks ridiculous um but i mean yeah, I managed to stay awake during the film this time, but I did still find that last fight scene incredibly dull and yeah. kind of wished I'd had a nap, to be honest. Georgia, thoughts? I really enjoyed it. Um, I think I have both the privilege and the disadvantage of not having seen or being able to remember a previous iteration of it. So the additions and the changes and that kind of thing don't hinder my viewing of it because I haven't ever known it another way. Um so did you, uh, just out of curiosity, because obviously we can't watch it again for the first time. That's that's mm-hmm. the thing with Liam and myself and Ethan and half of Ellie's viewing experience today. <laughs> we don't get to watch it for the first time. Uh, did Were you able to, or did, did you find it jarring? Were there elements where you went, okay, that bit looks like it's from 1976. That looks like it's from 2005 in the no. same shot. Oh, you didn't? No. Okay. The, that didn't have any effect on me at all. In fact, even the big stormtrooper dinosaur thing didn't um mark me as not being from oh really okay um the original no um i didn't aren't aware that it'd been through so many changes and had so many additions so i think because of that i wasn't looking for them i wasn't looking for changes to me it looked like a cohesive film um the one thing i did notice was the powerpoint wipe changes um that's the most jarring that's thing to me, but I think that's charm. because it's, but it's, it's part of the charm. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I think it's great. It made me smile. Um, but no, I absolutely adored it. I can completely appreciate that the, some of the script writing is absolutely shit. Like some of that is horrendous. Um, but top quality for Lucas scares me. Yeah. Most of the performances are really good. Don't get me wrong. Luke Skywalker is not a good character throughout this he's a bit of a jerk and you kind of go really like having recently watched the newest ones and his like prestige that he holds throughout all of those and you kind of go this guy did not deserve this at this point like that is not the luke skywalker you're used to hearing about in this first film um but no i thoroughly enjoyed it and it made me smile and i wanted to watch the next one straight away after it um, but I didn't because I didn't want to confuse anything for this podcast. Now, it is worth mentioning that during the end of the production cycle of this film, uh, Mark Hamill gets in a serious car accident and yeah. scars his face up pretty badly. And as a result, they couldn't bring him back for any reshoots of any sort because he was like it was it was that noticeably okay. different. So when you see him again in um, uh, Empire, he lo- he's a much different looking man. He's got a boyish sort of right. good look about him in the first one, but in the second one, he, he's yeah. he's not ugly, but he looks he's a very different looking man. Mm. He looks weathered. Okay, I'll, yeah, he looks weathered. Yeah, I'll and watch out for his it face then. structure has changed. Like the bones in his face have have moved somewhat, and therefore, right. as a result, it, it, his face sits differently. The opening scene in Empire, 
uh, is him getting attacked. So to make up they that. incorporate yeah. they incorporate it to make it like that was part of the story. They do explain it away. Yeah, they yeah. they hide his face as much as they can as well with that because he's like covered up as as much as possible just for that one scene. All right. So as we march over towards the finish, let's play a game. Let's do the uh, let's do the how old are they game, shall we? How old are they game? I believe Ellie's going to head this one up with yep. you. Go ahead, and I don't know the answers to this one either. Okay, so we'll start with the one we've already mentioned. We'll go with Princess Leia. I accidentally saw this because I was looking up how tall she was because she struck me as really short, so I can't answer that one. Okay. How tall is she? Uh, about eight centimetres shorter than me. At which, one and which is what? 155. Do you know what that is in, in feet and inches? 5'1". Okay. Oh, wow. Ethan? I want to say like 21, 22. Liam? Uh, I'd say 19. She's in her teens, I'm pretty sure. I want to say 21 as well. She is 21. Yeah. What about Luke? Uh, 22. I think he was married with a kid. I'm saying like 25. I'm going 25 too, yeah. I'm going to go 24. 24. 24. You're all too low. He's 26. Okay, okay. Hmm. And then what about Han Solo? Han, Han Solo. And then what about Han Solo? Well, we gave him gift about Leah and Leia. We can go ahead and give Han and Han. Georgia, Han Solo. Nah, 28. I'm saying like 34, 35. Wow, okay. I think he, he's he's old. Okay. I'm saying 32. I'm not a 29. I was watching this thinking he was really old. I agree with Ethan. Um, he's 35. Wow, he was, wow. There's a great story, but he went out to buy a record the weekend after Star Wars hit. And the, he got, just to go to buy a record, like they literally like ripped the shirt off him. <laughs> and he, that's when he realized it was a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Alec Guinness. I... 58. I'm going lower. I think, I think he's like 54. I'm going to go 50, I was going to, uh, 55. I'm going to go old. I'm going to say 67. <laughs> Somewhere in the middle. He's 63. Oh, I think wow. I'm, I'm closer. I'm definitely closer on that. I said Not 58. Than That's five years. Oh, okay. You're, sorry, you're one year closer years. than Georgia. I win. One year. I win. Come that's, on. That's what a win is. Win doesn't mean, it just means I, I, I finish first. <laughs> All right, uh, let's talk. Like Chewy. Okay, so we've done that. Um, let's do best role ever, because I think for most of the people in this film, we can argue... Easily best role ever. Mark Hamill, some people might say it's the Joker from the animated series. I go, yeah, okay, great. He's not a cultural icon. Luke Skywalker is. Is there anybody in this film who it's not their best role ever? Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones, or uh, Decker in... Oh, I hadn't thought about Decker, but I I think Indy, because that's his film, isn't it? Indy, definitely Indy. Is there anybody else? No, I think Carrie Fisher is definitely... She is Princess Leia, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, she doesn't really do that much outside of this. I don't think I've seen anyone else yeah, in anything else. Was, was, yeah, I was going to say Cushing. Cushing was like a standard horror star in the first place, wasn't he? Cushing was the opposite of uh, of Guinness. Guinness was like, nobody reminded me I was in it. Cushing was like, I wish they could find a way to write me into the next one. He really <laughs> who, liked doing it. Who's Cushing? Grand Moff cool. Tarkin. That makes sense for Rogue One now. The guy who was like Vader's boss and right. dies at the end? Yeah. We got to the end of a podcast. You don't know who the character is. I don't is. know what their names are. 
that makes a lot more sense of why they did what they did in Rogue One. Yes. Also, yes. Um, I believe Leslie Grantham, who played Dirty Den in EastEnders, was in it. Really? Um, is there anybody else? John Williams? I guess it's his best film in it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, or at least, at least, I mean, or at least his his work within the Star Wars canon. I guess we would. Yeah, all of his oh, music's amazing. I'd, I'd contest like, that with that. Okay, yeah. you'd you'd what? I'd contest that. I think his best work in Star Wars is actually in the prequels. No, no, I was saying I think we have to count oh. his Star Wars work as one solid. Unit. Oh, 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 okay. Because yeah. the prequels, you have the benefit of the fact he's already written the main theme and the mm. Imperial March and all these things, and then you can add like Duel of the Fates on top of that. He does the music for Harry Potter as well, right? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think I prefer that. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're welcome to that. But... Some of his music in, I think, Harry Potter 2, he also implemented into Attack of the Clones. Oh, really? Yeah, he has sort of oh. the same sort of little yeah. tink tin- in like a couple and, uh, pieces. And also into Tinkerbell, as we discovered the other day. <laughs> <laughs> On the other podcast, uh, talking to Mickey. Um, whose story is this? The Jowers. <laughs> the Jowers. That's the, that's the follow-up I want to see is the Jawas like getting revenge. Where, where, is their, where is their animated series? I have a story about that one Jawa. Okay. Uh, besides the Jawas, is there anybody's story who this is? I mean, is it, is it, is it Luke's? Is he the only person whose story this is? Han Solo. You could argue it's Han Solo's film quite quite easily. It's a story of redemption, which is more of what Luke gets. Luke's just... I mean, you want to talk about the theme? I'm going to say this. Luke Skywalker is Harry Potter. Yeah. I'm sorry he is. He's a guy who thinks he's a nobody. It turns out he's got a family lineage in this crazy secret society of which he's ridiculously talented and is the one who's going to fix everything. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm sorry. J.K. Yeah, Rowling yeah. should be giving George Lucas like royalty checks. He should... He should be getting two and a half percent of her universe for the rest of his life. <laughs> no, no, he should. It's the exact same setup. No, it's not. It is. Oh, it's it not. really is. Yes. I love Harry oh. Potter and the Harry Potter universe, but it she stole from so yes. many pre-existing things just, and changed them slightly. I just don't care about any of the characters in this film. But it doesn't mean that she didn't steal. Like, just, like doesn't large mean it's chunks. not the same story. Okay, can we also <laughs> clarify that I technically don't know at this point that he's gonna fix everything and the extent of his lineage and well, he has what world he's like been thrown into yep he just flies a rocket ship into somewhere he's not yeah. got like magical powers well, on the fr- well the force is like magic in it they call it magic and occult and all that oh, stuff. i suppose yeah. i just i just don't see it as the same thing but maybe it's because i'm not as familiar with the whole could you argue thing. it's leia's film I think she doesn't really change throughout it, though, does she? She leads stuff, and she's really cool and, like, kick-ass throughout it. But she doesn't... She leads stuff till the third act. Yeah. Then it's like, what's my job? Sit over there and look worried. Like Cersei Lannister. There's my one per podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's a Game of Thrones or an Avengers reference. It will happen. So just sit over there and look look scared. So... Unlike Luke, though, she does that well. Oh, like I really like Leia throughout. And I think yeah. in a time of female representation, I mean, I think she's tough. I think she goes toe-to-toe with Vader. She goes toe-to-toe with Tarkin. Uh, he was the guy who was with uh, Darth Vader most of the film. And he goes toe-to-toe with... Um, and she goes toe-to-toe with, with uh, Han Solo. And she makes it's fun of Luke. Nice. She's great. It's nice as well to see, despite obviously Carrie Fisher not liking the 
costume and that kind of thing to see her not overly sexualized as a strong female character wait, wait as well like Jedi. she is wearing a bed sheet but <laughs> she's, able to fight. she's able to do this that and the other wait until and Jedi, the bed sheet comes off oh come on um then so you've got that um also the idea that when they're fighting the stormtroopers she grabs the blaster out of luke's hand yeah. and fires it like she's not a come rescue me kind of princess she does have right. agency in her own rescue they even, She's say very cool. they even say at the beginning that uh, I think 3PO says to R2, she won't be able to escape from this one this time. Yeah. So this isn't like her first, this isn't her first space rodeo. Yeah, good show. Uh, rodeo. <laughs> um, is Star Wars still the cultural juggernaut it once was? It was a couple of years ago, definitely. Um, I think with the end of the third trilogy, they've lost a little bit. But bringing back the Mandalorian... Um, has hugely skyrocketed their popularity again. My sister, who has never seen a single Star Wars film, has now watched them all and is up to date with The Mandalorian because of Baby Yoda. And I think that's had a huge impact. Because Liam, help me out on this one. I think you... Because at one point, Star Wars was the singular biggest thing culturally. Even when yeah. the prequels came out, it was the singular biggest thing culturally. Yeah, yeah argue... they made a big deal with the sequel. Prequel. That is the MCU today. Mm. Yeah, it is not yeah, Star yeah. Wars. Uh, they kind of we, we thought it might come back. I think with Episode Seven, but Last Jedi, I think, kind of made everybody go. Ugh. And from yeah. that on in, kind of the internet turned on it, and it's really hard to be that 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 high achieving thing. We we all thought 2019 was going to be great because we were going to see the end of Game of Thrones, the end of the Avengers kind of main saga, and the end of Star Wars. And two of those three couldn't stick the landing. Yeah. <laughs> so if a new Star Wars film got announced for two years from now, would you care? No. But you'd go and see I'd, it. I'd go you, see so. it. But I mean, I was yeah. like, yes. I'm excited about the Kenobi series. I will give you that. Because I have faith in the guy who's playing the role. God bless him. Yeah. Throw back that? to you and McGregor going back to last week's. Uh, he's oh, ca- really? He's coming to do a series on the in between years. Yeah. That's the in between oh, years, not the in betweeners. Just for yeah. anybody who might be mistaken that. Uh, so let's go around the table. We know the order here. Uh, favorite character? Chewbacca. Okay. Any reason why? Because uh, he was the one I always liked. Him and Solo as a pair, really. Um, because I like the, the buddiness between them. Because even though Solo was supposed to have won him in a poker game from Lando Calrissian, um, I... Like he won he another, he won another life form in a poker game. He won the, he won the Millennium he won the Falcon. Ship. Yeah, okay. And Chewbacca came with the Falcon. <laughs> and, uh, but when you see, when you see them on screen together, you even see it in this uh, film yeah. where he actually um, rubs his head and stuff, and he's like quite friendly with him, like buddy friends, rather yeah. than I'm your boss. Do you know what I mean? There's a real warmth. You'd think it would almost be impossible, but they do. They have this like this camaraderie between them. And that's what I like. I love the fact that he can understand Chewie. And, you know, even by expressions or the way he, you know, cries out or whatever. And I, I always gravitate towards that as a child. And so them two, mainly Chewie that I liked, um, but them two as a pair was my favourites. Um. I, I didn't like I said I didn't really care about any of the characters. Um, maybe C three PO. 
Um, just I really I liked that little line where he thinks they're all dying when they're celebrating. Um, like you, that gave me like the biggest laugh of the film. So I'll give him my honourable mention for best character. Okay. Um, I think we've all established I really like the Jowers. Uh, mm-hmm. I love the way they talk. The way they run is absolutely hilarious. Um, and other bits and pieces, I think they're great. Um, but like actual characters, so like human speaking character, I absolutely adore Leia in this film. I think she's amazing. Um, but also Han Solo has a lot of great lines and a lot of depth and warmth, despite him being a bit of a rogue, if you will. Um, so no, I I really like them as a pair, but nothing will beat the Jowers for me, not even the Ewoks. Okay, uh, Ethan. Uh, it's always got to be Obi-Wan. With the context that I already know from everything else, or without, his character, he's weirdly tragic in a strange way, just in the way that he talks. And you, like, there are just moments where he almost, he wants to protect Luke. And even if you do know or don't know what has happened between, like, A New Hope and before that, he is he's just an ama- he's just a caring caring character and i love everything that alec guinness brings to his performance in that and he really encompasses what i always wanted uh the reasons that i wanted to be a jedi when i was a kid is it was just peace and also like tranquility with everything and a cool sword and a cool sword yeah yeah <laughs> uh i'm going to kind of a mesh of those two uh i really as a kid I always overlooked Han Solo and never got the appeal. This time I totally got the appeal for Han Solo. But it does. It begins and it ends with Obi-Wan Kenobi at all times. He is always in the character I've gravitated towards. I don't know why. Uh, it, may be, it, might, it may be that weird looking for a father figure and this is who uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi is in that film. But uh, a tragic character, a, a character who's punishing himself. And this is his chance to make good. And I like that. I like that idea. We see here he blames himself for Luke's father's death. Um, and he's punishing himself and wants to right that wrong. And uh, there's something heroic about I've trained you up. I've got you in the right spot. Your path leads you somewhere else. I'll be with you, but not in the way you want. I, I really appreciate that. Favorite bit, favorite part, favorite scene, your, your little favorite one shining star from the film. Ellie. Um, Either. I'm gonna cheat and do two. Um, either the like the bit when they're in the garbage crusher, um, just because there's quite a lot of tension that builds up there, or the little bit where they pick out the droids near the start because it shows sort of the relationship between C3PO and R2D2, mm. and I think that's that's quite sweet. There's a little bit of warmth there where he kind of goes back and makes sure they get him and stuff. I think it's the other two characters we know too. They're the ones we've been establishing. That's the yeah. that's the that's the relationship we're pulling for at that point. We don't know Luke. We want to see these two droids kept together. Uh, Georgia. Pretty much every time Princess Leia stands up to anyone or like talks back to them or is like just is right is is, is brilliant. Um, and of course the Jowers. Yeah. I can't <laughs> express to you my love of those enough. You you, you might appreciate this. Uh, it says that Leia was so uh, enamored with Peter Cushing and found him to be so nice and so charming and so kind. She said she really had a hard time being mean to him on camera. <laughs> because like she just like wanted to like, give him a hug <laughs> rather than That's yell at him brilliant. all the time. I love that. Ethan. I keep talking about this scene, and it was the same reason that I love Obi-Wan. But it's it's just this scene where Obi-Wan's telling Luke everything about his dad. And I think 
you, you might relate to this just in a point of view of someone telling you about a father you've never really known it's just the sort of the not the desperation but the excitement in in luke and also seeing obi-wan probably relive the memories to someone for the first time in a long while and that raw emotion you feel there's no music it's just him sitting there recounting it and if this was a film nowadays there would be flashbacks and all this other stuff it's just him sitting back and letting mm. the mem you're you're watching the memories through just through like what he's seeing and i i love everything about that well if you look at the new trilogy we, we did get flashbacks so mm-hmm. yeah you're 100 right liam have you got one yet yeah it's probably gonna surprise you to be fair um the bit where luke goes outside uh, at the beginning and with the two moons because for me two suns because that's where it sets it up and that's where everything goes to change and i remember at the time when i first watched that um i had no idea where it was going to go you know so for me that brings back a memory of watching it for the first time because again in other podcasts i go on visuals yeah and from a child my first visual i remember was him standing there looking at the two sons and yeah so that's one of my favorites and i'm going to kind of cheat and go a little bit into all of yours uh, with the exception of ethan's i guess mine's john williams that's my that's my favorite bit is it's just the soundtrack he he, he creates and so much yeah. of the characterization of these characters in this series is done through leitmotif leitmotif which is a, a fancy film studies term which just means the string of music that accompanies a character and so Luke yeah. always has that theme with him, and Darth Vader has his theme, and the, they all have their own little. And we see it even in the, in, in all the the new trilogy and the, and, and the prequels. Characters get little riffs that are unique to them, and I just appreciated what John Williams did uh, from a sound, especially in a in a script that's really hurting for at times proper character development or even good dialogue. I thought he said more with music than the than the actors were able to do with their with their lines half the time. So I me. tell you what. If I could have anything happen to me in life, I would have John Williams write me my own little character motif that could just play <laughs> when I did things in random life. Just like, I know something good's about to happen because my motif is now playing in the I'm background. I'm not even selfish. I would settle for Michael G- Giacchino. That's fine. <laughs> I would slum it and let Michael Giacchino do mine. <laughs> yeah, well. Anyway, my little grumble, my little grumble, the one thing that you're going to go ahead and say, I would change this. Liam, are we going to go with the... Uh... With the CGI updates, or what are we going to do? Yeah, I hated the CGI. In fact, I found it hard to watch the movie with the CGI bits because I kept, every time they came up, I kept going, I hate this. I hate it. And that's taken away from what I remember. I'd rather watch the old theatrical version that I remember rather than with all these updates because it's hard to find it nowadays on DVD without the, the updates. So, yeah, for me, it's the CGI. Don't yeah. like it. Hate it. Take it out. Put the pen down. Ellie? Yeah. Um, well, apart from that god-awful sort of last quarter of the film, um, probably Luke's horrific reaction to people dying. Okay. Uh, Georgia? The death of innocent Jawas. <laughs> they did nothing wrong. <laughs> Well, they did kind of like enslave the droids and then sell them. But they, they did nothing wrong to the sand people or to the, the anyone else. No, but they, like, knocked, they didn't they need slaughtering. Okay, uh, little grumble then. Ethan. Oh, um, it, it's the Jabba scene. I don't think the Jabba scene adds anything to this film. 
we had Needle. all the context we needed with Greedo, and yeah. all the Jabba scene does is just tell us again that, hey, a handshot Greedo, he owes Jabba money, it looks ugly. The, 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 the formatting is disgusting from an editing perspective. And I yeah. think it ruins the reveal of Jabba like six years later in the in in uh, episode six. Okay, uh, I'm gonna go with. It seems to be my thing lately. Pacing, pacing. The third act drags so much so that halfway through my notes, I went, and now the third act has begun because I forgot there was more after getting Leia on and getting themselves off the Death Star. I'm like, all right, they gotta go back and then blow up the Death Star. It feels like just a little bit of tacked on stuff, and for me, that was just. Yeah, and I was just kind of going, if the movie had ended with them escaping and the threat of, we better watch out because they're coming for us, yes, but we've got the plans now. That could have been the end of your film. Yeah. That could have. If, if you had, Because yeah. Obi-Wan dies, you're like, this feels like it's like the final beats of a film. We've had the big yeah. showdown, and instead we had this tacked on, Luke's a really good pilot, which, will we ever see him really fly an X-Fighter like that again? Not really. <laughs> but let's do it. So, I liked it. That was my. No, I, I'm not saying I disliked it, but if, you had to, if it, I had to choose something that I would fix, oh, well, that and the script. I mean, yeah. George Lucas wrote a good story. George Lucas did not write a good script. <laughs> so the idea about what the characters were going to do and how they're going to get there, and it's a really engaging. There's a great love triangle. We establish a father figure. We we set him off on his journey. We know who the big baddie is. There's a whole folklore around that. They're going to come back, and there's obviously still still stakes to play for in the next film. That's really good. The characters, the lines that come out of their mouths are terrible. <laughs> Apparently, the yeah. only direction that George Lucas ever gave was go faster, go faster, do that with just just with more energy, go go faster. And I'm like, that would be, I imagine, quite frustrating. So it's time for our ratings. What did we give it out of ten? We'll go the same order we've been going around the table so far. So Liam, you're first up, buddy. Are we going on by the? Film I've just watched, or uh, you can rate it on the film we just watched, but don't. We're not rating the film you just watched versus the film you know as a kid. We're saying if you walked in and saw this film, what would you rate that out of ten? So if you still like the characters and the music and all that stuff, I don't think you give it a two just because you really hate the 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 additions no. to it. Well, in that case, I'd give it a seven. Okay, uh, Ellie. Um, I'm I'm going to be the annoying one that gives a really low rating to everyone's favourite again. Um, I'm going to give it a five. Okay. I didn't enjoy it at all. Georgia? At seven and a half. I like it. Okay. Ethan? This comes to, as no surprise to anyone. I love this film, and I think it's a, like, and the product of this time, it's perfect. Uh, and now I still think it's brilliant, and it revolutionised everything. I've I, I got to give it a nine. I love it. Okay. Steven Spielberg cried and called it the best film he'd ever seen. I mean, not Steven Spielberg. He knows, he know, and Star Wars would be the highest grossing film of all time until E.T. knocked it off the charts. So, uh, my rating is, and it's a very polarizing film in the sense there's so much in this film I go, it's brilliant. And there's some parts in this film that I go, it's dreadful. Now, there's much more, <laughs> there's much more of the former than the latter, but it comes out in the wash yeah. from each to an eight. And I'll admit there's some nostalgia in that. But I said, you, you fire it up, you play that opening chord, you show me the logo, and that you put some words across space, and you're probably getting 5 out of 10 for that alone. So everything else is just... I love the characters, I love the quotes, I love the mythology, even for all the faults. I just wish they tightened it up and the script didn't suck. That's all. 
So it gets an eight or ten out of me. So Liam, we put that in the in, in the machine. That comes out as a fifteen, which actually makes it our second lowest film ever. Wow! Ooh. It only beats one other film. Do you know what film that is? Uh, in Bruges. Not in Bruges. In Bruges, we really liked actually. It's Amelie. I'm going to assume Amelie. Yeah. Amelie. <laughs> Amelie. Yeah. So that's the next time on best film ever. We are going to tackle the first film ever that we've done so far about one best picture. We are going to be tackling because George and I, we were supposed to be in a stage production of a show next week. And it's been canceled or postponed, but there's a film that we can watch on the same track. So we are going to watch the Academy, the multiple Academy Award winning film, Chicago. And all that jazz. So that should be uh, quite interesting. Another musical. I'm glad we did kind of two musicals with like something in between them. That was all right. Otherwise, it could be quite whatever. I hope our listeners like musicals. Yeah, well. It won Best Picture, so if you're here for Best Film Ever, there's something to be said for that. And if you liked hearing a little bit of Disney content, please join Ellie, Georgia, Ethan, and myself about a couple times a week for our Disney-themed podcast, Talking the Mickey. It's Talking the Mickey on most major podcatchers. Uh, you can catch us on Instagram, at Talking the Mickey, or on the Twitter, at Talk the Mickey. And they release uh, about twice a week on their own respectable uh, podcatcher. You put it into... Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that stuff, it will show up. Talking the Mickey. So, please join us next time as we talk about Chicago and Roxy and all that jazz. For (laughs) Best Film Ever, my name's been Ian. And I've been Liam. I've been Ellie. I've been Georgia. And I've been Ethan. And if today's episode went well, I hope we don't get cocky and that the force will be with us always. See you next time.